Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. So, what a great, great show we had tonight. First caller has a girlfriend and loves her very much, and she loves him back, but she's not so much in love with his love of one Donald J. Trump. She found out that he was pro-Trump, and she had like, I don't know, like a panic attack, or she freaked out, had to run from her classroom sobbing, and, well, we had a conversation about that, which I think you'll find very interesting. And um, the second caller wanted to know how can those who value the heritage of Western civilization lead other people to properly appreciate the existence of different or opposing cultural worldviews and assumptions? We had a great chat about culture. Third caller, interesting question, not the very best listener we've ever had on the show, but what are the largest factors he wanted to know contributing to the social and economic collapse of the West? So I took on some prior philosophers and went deep, deep into the details, which uh, I enjoy, and I think you will as well. Now, the fourth caller is drawn to confront people who are pro- protesting against Donald Trump, and uh, he's at risk, and we had a sort of topic, uh, a conversation about being at risk and why these people use violence or are so drawn towards violence, and also what in his history might want him or compel him to put himself into these kinds of difficult situations. And uh, the fifth guy He's a black guy, which is kind of relevant to the conversation, and he wanted to know if there is going to be an upcoming race war, which side should he try to be on? And um, we had actually a great and engaging guy had a fantastic conversation about a variety of topics, came to, I think, some very useful conclusions that he didn't like, which is usually the most useful conclusions for all of us. Thank you, everyone, of course, so, so much for listening to this show, for helping us out, which you can do at freedomainradio.com slash donate. You can, of course, if you've got shopping to do, use your affiliate link at fdrurl.com slash Amazon, and also you can follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux. All right. Well, up first today, we have Mr. M. Mr. M wrote in and said, After the election, my girlfriend, for the first time, brought up the topic of Donald Trump. I essentially told her that I supported Trump, and my worst fears were realized as she became shocked and hysterical, escalating the situation into a huge argument. Since then... I have calmed her down and she apologized. Me and her clearly have some issues to deal with, but the question is, can me and her really make it work if we disagree so much on this fundamental issue? That's from Mr. M. Hey, Mr. M, how you doing? I'm good, Steph. How are you? Uh, I'm well. I'm, 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 fighting, I'm fighting the stereotype that you tried to have a rational conversation about politics and your girlfriend got hysterical, escalated, angry. Uh, and irrational, would that be fair to say? Yeah, you can see why I uh, procrastinated on bringing up the subject in the first place. Yeah. No, I get it. No, I mean, this is the, um, you know, honey, wh- why why, don't you just be honest with me? Well, well, this is why. <laughs> this is exactly why. Why don't you just tell me the truth about what you think and feel? Yeah. Because it's a trap sometimes, right? Anyway, um, so what, 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 was her, what was her deal? What was her story? What was she on about with this stuff? Yeah, so um, so the election happened, and oh, as, yeah. you know, as you know, I was having a pretty Wait, good... Wait, when? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was having a great morning, you know, and then I get the text, uh, Trump won last night. What happened? What's wrong with people? And I'm Wait, like, how long have you guys been going out for? Um, Five months now. Right. And she had no idea. 
well, that you, you kept a, a tall orange mistress in your secret heart of hearts, right? Yeah, I, I made the mistake of trying to just work on principles and establish that I'm not a racist or a sexist. So maybe when I got the courage to bring up the conversation, she'd uh, not freak out. Oh, you knew she was a Hillary. Was she Hillary or Bernie? No. I, oh, Gary Johnson. She told me she didn't really follow politics. When we were dating. Right. I suspected she and A. Trump views. Like, she goes to university. So, right off the bat, there's that. Wait, but, is she, she's she's in an arts program? Uh, no, she's in criminology. Ah, okay. Criminology. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I might, might, might want to have a check out uh, Kevin Beaver. But anyway, go on. Yeah, so, um, yeah, like, she brings up uh, Trump one last night. And I just say to her, like, hey, uh, America made a choice. They chose an outsider of the system and between a corrupt politician that's just the representation of everything that's wrong with politics. And it just evolved from there. Wait, wait, wait. Did you do that in a text? Uh, yeah. No, you didn't. Well, I said. No, you didn't. Seriously, a text. Do you, did you did you think that was a great way to bring up a potentially emotionally volatile topic? Because you know nothing says hugs and fuzzies like text. Yeah, I know. Um, I actually did text her right after that, saying we really should not have this conversation in text. Hmm. No, like, you know it's really tough to put the, the the pin back in the grenade after you take it out. <laughs> you know, I really shouldn't have pulled that pin out. Well, it's out now. Though. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah, she immediately is like, what? Like, what were you talking about? You know, like, he's clearly racist and sexist and all these things. I'm like, you know what, babe? Like, I don't want to have this conversation right now. Just know there's two sides to every issue. It's it's an election. There's going to be mudslinging. Let's just talk about it when I'm done work. And then uh, right, okay. she accepted then... that for, that, for now. And then all she right. ended up uh, texting me later when she was in class. Hmm. When I was at home and uh, she was saying, like, OK, so like, why, why Trump? I'm like, again, I don't want to you know, have this text conversation with you. But, um, you know, I spelt out uh, the basics. I'm just like, like I got it here. I'm, you know, he's not a racist. He's not a sexist. He's the first politician to fund his own campaign. He is not bought by special interest groups. Hillary's a criminal. Uh, yeah, you know, she's studying scandal criminology. Scandal, yeah, you know, like, and, and I don't want war with Russia. She keeps bringing it up every single freaking time there's any chance to, and it's pretty open and shut for me. And uh, she just fires back the non-argument. You're completely wrong. He's racist. He's a sexist. Uh, you know, he shames women and and all this. SJW stuff that I've never heard from her before, mm. and it, it's like it, like just a kind of like um Russian, you know, sleeper agent response, like just <laughs> just comes blurting out. Like obviously, it's from the. You're like, I, I hope I I don't I hope I don't activate her MK Ultra word. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's gonna get all bobbity on me. <laughs> and it, it just it just got bad so fast, and uh, yeah, I. I you know, I was just trying to be calm, make reasonable, rational arguments, just say, you know, like, people say a lot of crazy shit anytime there's election. Like, you really think he's been in the public eye for 30 years and all this racism stuff and 
hate like sexist anti-woman stuff's coming out now like they loved him before mostly yeah. and like it's why, why would nbc run the show for like what 13 years or whatever they ran his show. Why Why would they run his show if he was an out-and-out out racist? I don't, you know, people who are considered to be racist, I don't know, like whoever, David Duke or whatever, I mean, they're not being offered TV shows for 13 years. I mean, <laughs> and it's what, what Trump said, you know, he said that at the dinner when he was roasted Hillary Clinton. He said, you know, everybody loved me until I ran for office, and then I became like the worst person in the universe. Oh, yeah, that was a great dinner. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, but... um. Yeah, she just got hysterical and she like was started texting me like how she's, you know, like had to run out of class. She's crying and she started bringing up her relationship. Wait, she had she, to, I, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. She had to run out of class because she was crying? Yeah, because she started bringing up our relationship into question because I'm a Trump supporter. So your political perspective caused her to have like a panic attack? I, I guess maybe. No, you got to run out of class. I mean, you. I mean, you. You don't have to be totally into guerrilla mindset to have the sense that your feelings might just be running with away with you a little bit. Yeah. And um, at that point, I called her because she's starting to bring up her relationship in question. She doesn't, you know, know if she can date me if I support uh, all these things. I'm I, like, I called her. I'm like. Like, really, do you think I'm a sexist? Do you think I'm racist? You know me for five months. You know, you know I'm, I have, like, you'd know if I was a sexist or a racist. It's not like Hitler ever hid his uh, intentions. Right. And, you know, she calmed down and, you know, she started apologizing, like. Apologizing for what? For calling you? Well, she didn't call you. No, she didn't call me. A sexist or a racist. She's like. She's like, I, I freaked out. I shouldn't have brought it up. Like, you know, I was wrong to do that. And, you know, we dropped it tonight and I saw her the next day and she, uh, we sat down and she's like, I'm really, really sorry. Like, I should not have acted like that. You know, I was being totally irrational, but, mm. you know, I just want to know, like, like, I just like, don't, you know, go into a, a rant or anything, but like, are you sexist? No. Like, Wait, you... hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So she said she was being totally irrational, but you still had to justify your position? Let me put it to you this way. Like, if I accuse you of being a space alien, and then I say, oh man, listen, I'm sorry, I was being totally irrational, but are you a space alien? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, that's not, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's, if you admit that you're being totally irrational, you drop the perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally rational might not be an exact quote. That may be uh, um, hopeful memory, but uh, that's that's essentially what I got. And right. she, but she's like, you know, if Trump is a racist, like if you thought Trump was racist, would you support him? I'm like, no. You know, like if you know if if he was like sexist, like would you support that? I'm like, no. Well, hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. I mean. It wasn't Trump whose political mentor was Robert Byrd, longtime KKK member. Oh, if yeah. she's concerned about racism, I mean, how, how about you give a kiss on the lips and praise the long-term mentor of your political aspirations, a KKK member? Wouldn't that be, I don't know, uh, indicative of a potential uh, racial bias? Yeah, I, I don't know why I didn't fire back at that, but I think I was just trying to be... Calm. Is, is it like Pac-Man 
like a vagina just goes around the, the, the maze eating up little racism dots because vagina? I mean, that's just wild. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... A whack, a whack, a whack, a whack. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> Made it hard to get serious here. <laughs> what about, uh, you know, if, if, um... If, if Donald Trump had not just been accused by what I consider to be a series of dingbats, but if he had settled a sexual harassment claim and if he'd been legitimately or, or credibly accused of, of rape, not, you know, crazy stuff, but, you know, real stuff, um, would that be evidence of sexism? And, and the fact that Hillary's husband was credibly accused of rape and sexual abuse and sexual assault and Hillary helped to cover it up and intimidated the women who might have come forward and so on. I mean, is that not evidence of uh, sexism? Anyway, you, you know all oh, those I, stuff. I know. Go on. Um, yeah. So she essentially like it came down. She's like, okay, like, like I, I, I want to respect, you know, your political views. Like I'm not political, you know, and, you know, I wanted to fire back with, well, if you're not political, you can't say that you're anti-Donald Trump or pro Hillary Clinton because you're an outsider like you should be you know looking at what yeah, you mind. don't know we'll make you up your mind like like let's let's say there are two obscure German composers and I don't have any particular <laughs> understanding of which one may be good or bad and someone says well I like this yeah. particular composer over that particular composer you know what I don't do is like run out of my class sobbing and screaming yeah well I just know Bach is a, a racist sexist stuff so um I just yeah, yeah. used to listen to his music <laughs> But, um, yeah, she wanted, you know, like, she's like, I really, really love you. And like, you're, I know you're really good for me and I don't want to like, you know, mess it up by getting upset about this. And, you know, it seemed reasonable. Had she done the, sorry, had she done the, I love you before? Yes. Uh, how long into the relationship did she drop the, I love you or did either of you? Um, I did, I'd say, three months into when we actually made it official, because we were uh, had been dating before five months. What? Sorry. I don't follow that. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, three months into the, like, where we decided we were going steady as boyfriend and girlfriend. So three months after you started dating... And how long did it take for you guys to have sex with each other before you, when you started dating? Four dates. Four dates? Yeah. Is that four days or? Uh, no, that was um, two weeks. All right. So she gives it up pretty easy. Uh, well, no easier than any other girl like my generation, I would say. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I think a three-month rule is a good idea, but uh, that's just uh, tales from the Paleozoic <laughs> era. All right. Yeah, I hope I can get behind on that one, stuff. All right. <laughs> but anyways, um, but right. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, how long ago was this? This was like a couple of days ago, a week ago. Uh, this was. I guess. Oh yeah, you said on the election, the right? After the night of the election, a week Tuesday, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right.
and how do things stand now? Uh, like it's it's good. Like she, you know, she hasn't really brought it up, and you know, she's always happy to see me. You know, she really loves me. Um, it's just like it's always in the back of my mind, though. Like I'm like, sure. Like I want to be with you, but like if, if I can't have a rational argument. Like how do I? You know, I thought you'd be easier to convince on this. Well, okay. I mean, let's give her some credit where yeah. credit is due, right? She did pull herself together. She did apologize. She did listen, right? Yeah. So that 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 could have been a different thing, right? Totally. Totally. So um, how pretty is she? Um, like say an eight. An eight. And where are you at? I would guess an eight. Right. <laughs> right. What was that? I don't know where that that wasn't me. I don't know where the hell that came from. You guys introduced um, the laugh track? <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> that was from, that from. Someone... Tyler. If Tyler is not muted, Tyler should mute. <laughs> right. Now, when it comes to this uh, girlfriend, and it's a shame she's not available for the call, but anyway, when it comes to this girlfriend, we. We all have our trip wires, right? Like something where it's just like, whoa, I have a stronger reaction to X than I expected, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we got a bunch of listeners, and uh, every now and then we'll do a topic. And uh, it seems like this electric arc goes through the listenership, and some people, um, well, lose their shit. <laughs> right, you know, like let's say we, we put out a video about UFOs, um, <laughs> then... You know, or flat earth, or, you know, just people just, just lose their shit, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's like, it's way, way stronger a reaction than could ever be explained intellectually, right? Yeah. So she, she lost her shit. Totally. Now, again, it happens, and uh, it's not, not the end of the world that it happens. It shows passion and, and uh, intensity, and that's not necessarily a terrible thing. But it's what, what you do afterwards that counts, right? That matters. So what has she done to try and figure out how she lost her shit, what was going on, or has it kind of gotten swept under the rug? I'm sensing the latter. Yeah, I would say the latter. Right. That's I, not good. Yeah. Right. I don't, you know, she's young, you know, she's indoctrinated and, and I get that. Um, and this is probably the first time I mean, I'm, I'm assuming she grew up in a kind of like a liberal lefty bubble, right? And and um, she just is not, you know, she's not thinking, right? No. No, I'm, and, I imagine it's the first time she's ever talked to a Trump supporter. Right, right, right. Or imagine that they're not all evil or whatever, right? So, yeah. so the fact that she freaked out is, I mean, I hate to sound sort of cold and calculating, but it's interesting. It's an interesting piece of data. The more interesting piece of data is not that she freaked out, but what she did afterwards. So has she done anything to try and figure out why she got so hysterical? I, I'm really not sure what, what kind of soul searching she's done. Like, you know, she, I think she, she has some issues she has to deal with. 
No, no, don't don't give me your conjectures, right? We're trying to go. I'm an empiricist here, right? Okay, so sorry. if you don't know, you don't know. That's fine. Yeah. But but you know because she'd give you indications, right? So she'd say, you know, I've really been thinking, why on earth did I react so strongly to that? And here's my theories. What was your experience? Here's what I'm thinking. You know, the basic. I'm interested in self-knowledge. I'm interested in, in figuring out myself. I'm interested in understanding what makes me tick. And I'm sure as hell interested in not scaring the living hell out of my boyfriend, right? Because this was terrifying for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what's she doing? I mean, the apology is nice, and, and don't underestimate it. But an apology without significant follow-up to prevent repetition is a promise of repetition. Like, does she understand that this was completely unacceptable, should never happen again, and that she needs to really figure out what the hell was going on? She told me when she apologized that it was unacceptable, essentially. I don't know if she's doing the self-knowledge work to figure out why she did it. Well, then she's not. Yeah. I mean, self-knowledge in a relationship is not like a surprise party. By the way, thanks for my 50th birthday. It was great. But it's not, it's not a surprise party. You don't keep it under wraps. You don't keep it secret, right? I mean, you, when you've done something to scare the hell out of your, your partner, you let them know what the hell you're doing to m make it better to make sure it doesn't happen again, right? Yeah. And she's not? No. Not in any right. way I'm seeing. Have you met her family? Yes. And? Um, I can see where there's some red flags, so... Go on. Uh, single mom. Her mom's a single mom? Yeah. All right. Why? Because um, she well, never married to the dad, and they split up uh, shortly after she was born, I think. Right. And I think her dad had some serious anger issues. Huh. Right. Right. Anything else? Um, mom employed? I assume so, right? Yeah, the mom seems to be a go-getter as far as work goes, but I think as far as emotionally, like, um, you know, really talking to her daughter and feeling what was going on with her life, I'm sensing they're not that close. Right. Uh, um, what, what does that mean, not that close? It's like they don't talk about, I guess, feelings or whatever, right? Yeah, they don't really thoughts. talk a lot, I guess. I and is that because the mom's busy? Is she is she like a workaholic or, or something? Why why do you think? Um, I, I think she's probably like got uh, some bad people skills or emotional uh, intelligence, even though I, that's not real. No, no, I, I, we can use the term, like, yeah. we can use the term without, you know, I think emotional intelligence is valid, it's just not a substitute for IQ, right? So I've, I've no problem with us using the term at all. Um, all right, and does she have any brothers or sisters? No. Single mom, single kid. No, does, is the mom, did she have any kind of father figure, or did the mom have like a long-term boyfriend or, or anything like that when this girl was growing up? Uh, no, she she said that her mom um, really tried to never really bring men around, like uh, any right. potential boyfriends or anything like that, and doesn't date a lot. Um, I know she's seen her father, but she, she told me that like he'd be she like go like months without seeing him, 
And uh, I think there was some like issues with the anger or I think he uh, would use violence sometimes. With the mama, with her? uh, With her, like, you know, like spanking and um, uh, I'm not sure what else, but I suspect maybe like a smack or something. At some point or there. Right. Right. So, I mean, no father figure. And did, did... you said that she would see her father, her biological father, like every couple of months sometimes. Is that right? Um, I haven't really established a pattern. I know there was times where she wouldn't see him for a couple months, and then other times where she'd see him more often. You've never met him, I assume? No, I've met him a couple times. Oh, okay. And um, what's your read on him? Uh, well, she said he since went to anger management, so he didn't seem... Um, as bad as you know what some of the stories I've heard, but he seems like he's he's probably uh, kind of emotionally idiotic. What do you mean? Like it's hard to say. But you get the vibe that they could um, that he could be you know anger get the explosive anger or um, you know the passive aggression or, or type things like that. Where they're just kind of intense, you know? I'm sorry, I'm explaining this badly. You mean there's like under the surface kind of stuff? Like boiling up or ready to rock? Yeah, maybe it's like a little bit of like anal retentiveness and like uh, like very uh, masculine too. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like kind of the less intelligent. Uh, side of masculinity oh you mean like like macho kind of thing yeah like macho right 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 okay and what are your intentions with this uh woman do you think in the long run well um you know like i'm not looking just casually day like i'm trying to look towards my future and she said you know we've talked about um that we're both serious and want to see where this if this can go far and you know uh she like i've talked brought up you know if we ever did like uh have kids like you know i brought peaceful parenting and she's 100 percent anti-spanking like down with the peaceful parenting message which is really really good and well that's a that's a significant plus in my opinion yeah all right so, how sexist do you want me to be? Just out of curiosity. Oh, on a scale of one. Just go, just go full love and stuff. Go full? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, do you think that it's true that men have good things, useful things to learn from women? Yeah. And what would those be, do you think? I would think, like, you know, some of the... There are some empathy skills, probably, like when it, like, especially when it comes to having children, like where they, uh, you've talked about before, where they can empathize, you know, with the kids a lot. And uh, I guess are more in tune with like the loving and caring aspect. What else? Um, yeah, I think empathy. And that, I can't really come up with anything other than that on the spot. 
Well, do you think uh, if you decided to marry, if you guys decided to get married and, and have kids, do you think she would be a good homemaker? Do you think she'd run a household well? Did she be a good uh, um, household manager and, and, and mom and all that? Yeah, I think she could be a good mom. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good skill. That's a pretty good skill to have. Like running a household, making it all hum together and work together is is no small thing. I mean, it's really the foundation of a lot of pretty happy lives and and uh, kids' lives and society and civilization. I mean, you know, I think women's skills in these area uh, are uh, foundational to to stuff. Well, foundational to what makes life great in in so many ways. And I think it's important to defer to these kinds of things to women's skills and women's abilities and all of that uh, in in whatever areas they're good in, right? Yeah. So let me ask you this. What areas do you think she, or women as a whole, should defer to with regards to men's abilities and skills? Uh, the ability to use reason in high-stress situations or possibly emotionally volatile situations. Right. Anything else? Um, you know, like having to be uh, assertiveness, with, you know, with dealing with uh, the world, like negotiating, negotiating with people and uh, taking care of, you know, supporting them when they're having kids and taking right. care of them. Right. I think that's uh, I think that's fair. I think that's very reasonable. And you know, other things like not not crying to win an argument. Does that ever has that ever worked for you as a man? No. <laughs> can Can you imagine it ever working for you as a man? Uh, maybe if does them leaving scared like uh, count swing the argument when a grown man starts hysterically crying. Yeah, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, what we call social justice warrior is hysterical girlhood. It's hysterical girl girlhood, and all of the tactics that social justice warriors use: uh, verbal abuse, cry bullying, uh, a professed independence while massive reliance on the power of the state. I mean, these are all negative female qualities, right? Transferred to a lot of men through single motherhood and uh, the dominance of women in men's early childhood. A lot of positive female qualities, obviously, in the world, but uh, this uh, sequence, this series, this cluster would not be uh, one of them. Yeah. So, to me, it's fine that she doesn't understand anything about politics. You're not looking for someone who's like you in bed anymore than anywhere else. You're not looking for some you're looking for someone who's compatible. And the division of labor in your relationship might be perfectly fine that you deal with rationality, with objectivity, with politics, with, you know, the outer world. Right? The world uh, of men. And it might yeah. be fine in your relationship that she is the homemaker and she is the Razor of the children and the companion and the friend and the confidant and the advisor and all those wonderful things. Okay. She doesn't have to be good at politics. Right? Yeah. 
that can be your wheelhouse. That can be what you're good at. Yeah. My wife is great at some things. I'm great at some things. And it fits and it works. And sometimes it works along, you know, what would be, would be considered more traditional lines. And, and sometimes it's other ways. So the fact that she's not good at politics and doesn't know it, oh, come on. Girls can do anything. Girl power, right? <laughs> Nothing sets up women for failure more than praising their endless capacity for vanity, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen your Star Wars review. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's, a, it's really sexist, and it's really, really destructive towards women's potential. You're great, because boobs. No, that's, that's just terrible for women. As it would be terrible for anyone. It would be terrible for a, a, a man, a, a boy. You're right? Oh, you're good at everything. Don't worry about trying, honey. Yeah. Can you imagine how terrible you'd be if everyone praised you all the time? How terrible you'd be at everything if you already thought you were great at everything? You know, I don't go to a lot of walking lessons because I've pretty much got that down nigh on these 50 years. I would hope so. So, so she is, to some degree, a, a victim of some of this politically correct social justice warrior girl power crap that's floating around. And it kind of exploded. And, you know, she probably was a little shocked at what she was capable of. And, see, women have a tough time disagreeing with their inner circle. Now, men don't, <laughs> right? I mean, men trash talk each other all the time. You're full of shit. You're full of crap. You know, uh, where are the facts? Picks or it didn't happen. We're skeptical with each other, right? Yeah. Totally. Right? And you have this with your friends, right? I mean, everyone's trash talking each other all the time. And, and you know, women don't get it. They think that it's mean. But, you know, there's that saying that men are mean to each other but don't mean it, whereas women are nice to each other but don't mean it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so you've had a different life experience in terms of your social circle. Like, have you ever, what was it I was saying? S some woman, I can't remember who, some celebrity, was posting and saying, I, I, after the Trump win, I desperately, I want to move to Spain. I want to move to Spain. But, but my employees are saying, no, you're needed here. Your voice is needed here. The fuck is this voice thing? <laughs> what, what is that? I, I don't understand you have a voice. Okay. Is that voice speaking any facts? No, it's a voice. I don't care, and I don't want people to have a voice. It's not a singing car. Like, I, don't, I don't want people, I have a voice. Let, let's, let women's voices be heard. It's like, no, I want, I want facts. I want reason. I want evidence. I don't want a voice. That is just such... <laughs> You you can make sounds, <laughs> and therefore you have value. Look, she squeaks when you sit on her. I mean, it's just I don't know this voice thing. You'll see it. You see it everywhere when women talk about it. it's like voice and empowerment. Empowered, oh, yeah. you're empowered. Like what are you? Something that Doctor Frankenstein is trying to bring to life with electricity. I have power. <laughs> I mean, empowered. I don't understand. 
what does it mean to be empowered? Am I empowered to do what I do? No, I just do what I do. And I try and do it very well. And if I do it very well, then I succeed, right? I expand and the show grows and we get more subscribers and listeners and all of that. But empowered is just weird. It's so anti-competitive. You know, I mean, and I'm just sort of sharing this. As, this may be a perspective that she's had a lot of, right? Are you, are you empowered? Do you have a voice? I, 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 would never, I would never look in the mirror and say, am I empowered to do my show? Do I have a voice? Like, no, I just, I just want to do a good show where I'm honest and frank and bring the right facts and hopefully an entertaining and engaging delivery to, to bring those facts across. And I, I do have this weird ability to just bring the most shocking facts to people in a way that doesn't make them freak out too much. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good power. I try and use it for good and all. But, but the idea, like, I have a voice and a, am, am I empowered? <laughs> Can you just get something done? No, I'm busy being voicey. <laughs> right? So, so it's okay for women to suck at some stuff. Just as it's okay for men to suck at some stuff. And we've been told, haven't we, what we suck at and how much we suck at things? Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, you know this as a man, right? So it's okay. You can just sit here and say, well, look, you, you have very strong opinions about something you don't know anything about. Do you know what that's called? Prejudice. Nice. And I don't like I wouldn't say this like you could you could use even stronger words <laughs> than prejudice. But if you have very strong opinions about something you don't know anything about, then you're prejudiced. Like if, if I didn't know any black people and I just listened to what racists told me about black people, I would in fact be a racist at some point, because I'm not actually finding out the facts, right? Yeah, And so if she has never watched a Donald Trump speech, if she's never researched any of his positions, but she has very strong opinions about it, then she's prejudiced. It's bigotry, right? And it's fine. She's been told that because she's been told that she's empowered and she has a voice and she can live in the tyranny of feels and be correct, right? She's not told that we all start off wrong and we have to struggle and bite and claw our way towards being right right is a very high mountain very well guarded very well armed with treacherous slippery slopes with uh, cracking overhanging rocks with sheets of ice frozen like waterfalls coming down from the summit with monstrous avalanches that uh, can appear out of nowhere, should you say the wrong politically incorrect words, uh, correctness is a gruesome journey that makes ascending Everest look like going up an escalator. And women are not told, listen, you, like men, start with egregious error. Because we're propagandized, because we're lied to. Because, well, I mean, you start with egregious error, but with enough blood, sweat, toil, and tears, you can achieve the truth. Right? They're told, well, you have a voice. You're empowered. You, right? They're not told that you have to struggle and fight and bite and chew and scratch and claw to get to the truth. And this, nothing suppresses women's ability 
more than this endless appeal to their vanity and a withholding of the information of how hard it is to develop excellence. Like, I have a daughter, and I am fully aware of the toxicity of a society that attempts to enslave women to their vanity by praising them into impotence. So, the story of your girlfriend is this. She's never been confronted with the fact that goes against her prejudices. That's not her fault. That's tragic. That's the result of her parents, her society, her... the media, the movies, the TV. And it's the result of feminism, which cripples women by telling them they're great because they're women, rather than, yeah, you can become great if you want, but let me tell you how hard it's going to be, lady. Let me tell you how hard it's going to be, sister. It's going to be very, very tough. It's going to be an ugly process, and uh, not a lot of women reading their Nietzsche, right, trying to figure out uh, how tough is it to get to the truth. And she was shocked because she came up against something which appalled her and showed her naivete to herself. And it is to her credit. I mean, you know, I could, I could come down hard on this woman, but I don't feel that. I may be wrong. I don't feel it. She was shocked into recognizing that she was very bad at something, and that society as a whole had conspired to keep how bad she was at something from her. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like this big giant Truman show where we elevate women to areas of competence without telling them they need to work damn hard to achieve it. When, when I was developing intellectually, I mean, I still am, but when I really first started to develop intellectually, I considered it of enormous value to challenge myself with opposing beliefs, opposing perspectives, great arguments I did not know how to answer. And I think we all recognize that. If you want to be a weightlifter, you don't spend your time juggling eggs. You go and you find the the weight that will almost crack your back in two to lift it, you lift it for a while, and then you find a heavier one, right? And men are told, you are nothing until you sweat yourself into something. Whereas women are told, you're great. You're empowered. You have a voice. We do not demand of you excellence. We instead will paralyze you with praise. And this endless appeal to this stuff. I mean, I will occasionally preview a show, see if it's something my daughter could vaguely consume. We don't watch a lot of TV, but every now and then it's kind of nice on a cold night. I flipped on some damn thing on Netflix about... I think there were, was it three girls who were 
all geniuses in math and science and super cute <laughs> in high school. And one of a girl, I think her father was um, Chinese or Japanese or something, and he comes home. And they need to get some information. Now, he's, he's a computer scientist, I think, and a rocket scientist and a genius and all that. And they need to get some information from the security cameras at his work. And she sits down and flips open her laptop. And he says, well, you can't get in. I mean, we've got endless levels of security and firewalls. And she's like, boop, I'm in. I don't even think I saw her type. And this is what's presented. These girls never seem to do any practice. You never see them doing any homework. You never see them sweating and improving. They're just brilliant. I mean, we see this everywhere all the time. And I would no more allow my daughter to imbibe that and would let her drink bleach. Because she's great and has fantastic potential if she's willing to work. You know, people say to me, well, Steph, how do you just get up and talk for like an hour and make sense? And how do you just get up and maintain these? Like it's magic. You know what you do? You practice and 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 you practice. And sometimes you do take after take after take and you just work. You work hard and you can get there. But people, and I've got this whole video I did a couple of winters ago called Screw Talent, which is <laughs> pretty important. So I view your girlfriend as a victim of a toxic society that endlessly supplies the junk food of praise to women's bottomless appetite for vanity. And I don't blame women for this. Well, not the kids anyway. I don't blame women for having vanity. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. And it's like saying, well, men are bad because ambition. No. It's biological. It's genetic, right? I mean, it's how we evolved. And, you know, one day we may have a society that is willing to tell the truth to women. We're not there yet. I, I think we're heading in the opposite direction. I took this very, a, a great course on Victorian and pre-Victorian novels. One of the few valuable things I got out of half an English degree. And it was just a lot about instructing women on don't be vain, don't be vain, don't be vain. Don't go for the good-looking guy. Go for the good guy. Don't go for the rake. Don't go for the guy who, you know, your girlfriends might be impressed that you're dating him. And Go for the solid guy. Go for the provider. Go for, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right? Just training. Recognizing that women have bad instincts when it comes to who they get together with and that they should uh, you know, fight those instincts. You know, the same thing that men are told with the sexual urges, right? Don't go for the hot, what they call it these days, the hot mess. She's a hot mess. She's so attractive, she can be insane, right? And, and now insanity has become a mark of sexual market value. I'm so hot that men will put up with me being a crazy bitch. Can I interrupt you? And therefore, yeah, yeah. Have you seen the hot crazy matrix on YouTube? Yes. Okay. Because I, I would kick myself if I didn't give you that uh, piece of information. 
it was it. uh it was an unlikely pair of guys who put it out but yeah i think i saw it about a year ago but it, it was mentioned in how i met your mother i think at some point previously but yeah so i think the exploration of this could be absolutely fascinating in a relationship like don't you want to know what it's like to grow up as a girl i would be fascinated I would be fascinated. And I think you need to know that about your girlfriend. What was it like for her to grow up as a girl? What message did she get about femininity? What messages did she get about boys and masculinity? And all of that. Wouldn't that be absolutely fascinating to her, to, to learn and to hear about? What was it like for her? What, you know, what made her think that she, was, that she knew something about Donald Trump when she'd never studied anything about Donald Trump? And it doesn't matter what it's about. It could be Donald Trump. It could be anything. Was she ever told she was great just for being a girl? Was she ever told that girls are better than boys? Was she ever told that all she had to have was a voice <laughs> or, that, or that, that it was really important for her to feel empowered or that it was really important for her to have good self-esteem. Good self-esteem is like a six pack. You get it by working at it. <laughs> you shouldn't have it if you don't work at it. Right? Good self-esteem, I guess, is the positive relationship we have with ourselves when we take the necessary and bloody struggle to do good in a difficult world, to bring reason to an irrational world. Yeah, I think we can feel good about ourselves. I know I'm going to lay down for my eternal dirt nap, not with any doubt whatsoever about the value that I provided to the world as best I could with the tools that I had. But if somebody were to say to me, Steph, you should have high self-esteem because you're breathing. So men don't get that, right? Men don't get that we have value just for being. We have to be doing, right? We have to be producing, creating, protecting, providing. But women, no, no, you're empowered. You have a voice because you have a pulse. And it is the most sexist and horrible thing that is done to women to think that they provide value to the world simply by being women. And the loss of Hillary Clinton or the loss that Hillary Clinton experienced is, I think, testament to the fact that we're Getting tired of imprisoning, imprisoning women in this false narrative of imaginary excellence. And it's about time that they, like men, start work, working for the praise that they want, right? So if she can figure out what it was like for her growing up as a girl in this society, we, 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 we all need to denormalize the society that we grow up in. It doesn't mean that we think it's weird or bad or anything like that, but we have to understand that it's not the truth. I think that in the West there's more truth than in other cultures, but we're not done. And where we lack truth, we are susceptible to losing the truth that we have. So I would sort of invite you to sit down with your girlfriend and ask her, how fascinating was that? Where do you think that temper comes from? 
what did it mean to you? Right, because here's here's the here's the matrix that she was struggling to to get out of. I love my boyfriend. I hate racists. Everyone tells me Donald Trump and his supporters are all racist, but my boyfriend supports Donald Trump, but I hate racists, but I love my boyfriend. That's a contradiction, right? And to me, like anxiety attacks and all this, like whatever it was, right? They are evidence of a foundational contradiction in her programming, a glitch in the matrix, right? I love him. I hate racists. He likes Donald Trump. All Donald Trump supporters are racist. Therefore, I cannot love him, but I do love him. I cannot love him, but I do love him. <laughs> right? Does not compute. Won't compile. And that is not a moment you want to let escape for her because that's the moment of growth. That's the moment of getting out of the programming, right? That's the opportunity. That's the crack in the cell wall that with fingernails bending backwards, you can claw your way through. Because then the question is, well, why is everyone telling me that Donald Trump is a racist? Why is everyone telling me that half his supporters are in a basket called deplorables or whatever, right? I mean, why is everyone, what is the motive? What is, and then you realize that you are a battery to power the Democrats, right? <laughs> right. And, and that what you've been told and what you've been taught has made you a useful idiot for those in power. That is a glorious moment of fear, desire, excitement, opportunity, and what they call individuation, the chance to actually be yourself rather than an idiot programmed by those in power to be of utility to them. To no longer be livestock, but to evolve in a massive evolution fast forward from cow to hero to glory. I would not let that moment pass by. Because if you can't explore that moment with her, what the hell was going on with her in that classroom? I think I know, but it doesn't matter if I know. I'm not banging you. <laughs> <laughs> right? So if you can't explore what was going on with her, then you'll know if you have a worthy companion for an enlightened life. Right? So if you can go back to her, sit her down and just, you, know, you can play with this if you want. Now she can say, ah, I knew you were sexist. <laughs> right? <laughs> or maybe she won't. Maybe she won't, right? See, it's really important that women have voices, but the moment men have a voice, we're just yelled at, right? <laughs> at least we used to be. And then they took the White House and Congress and the Senate. So you sit her down and like, this is a, an essential conversation to have. What the hell happened? How fascinating. What an opportunity. Why do you think everyone was telling you Donald Trump was racist and sexist and this and that? Why? What value does it have for you to believe that? And if she's willing to explore that, and it'll be volatile and it'll be tense and all that, but if she's willing to explore that, I think you've got to keep her. If she shuts it down and, you know, it, it, you know, it may take more than one run, right? You don't necessarily take the castle the first time you run at it, right? But if she's willing to explore that, I think you've got someone with real potential. But I, I, you know, again, I'm just saying if I were in your Buster Browns, that's what I would be uh, 
focusing on. Does this does it make any sense? Is it helpful at all? Yeah, that's really, really helpful stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm really, uh, I was expecting you to go in a different direction. I'm always impressed that you always go. Like the run thing? Mm-hmm. The run? Run? You've been dicknapped? Yeah, <laughs> I was expecting something. No, nah, but she, no, she apologized. She, she, she circled back and apologized. Listen, man, you've lived to as long as I have. If a woman is willing to apologize to you and, and mean it, or anyone for that matter, <laughs> you know, not, not women in particular, although it may be considered more rare. But no, if you if you have a woman who's willing to say, I'm sorry, I was being irrational, uh, you know, um, I'm going to not do that. Like, I mean, that's that's impressive. That's impressive. And to me, that's at least an opportunity for a second chance. And I don't mean to th- this is some kind of test or whatever, but if she's curious, and this is the, the general thing I would say to men, is she curious about your experience as a man? Is she curious what it's like for you as a man growing up in the society that we have? And if she is, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that glorious? Isn't that the kind of empathy we're always told that women have? Tell me what it's like for you growing up as a man in this society. I want to know. What's it like for you? Having, you know, mostly female teachers for most of your early life. Uh, what is it like for you? You know, when you see commercials about men being portrayed as bumbling idiots and, you know, the girls are always cool and hip and have amazing skills no matter what. And, you know, like, what, what's it like for you? Being told that girls are great and boys suck. <laughs> right? I mean, oh, you know, I mean, or, or some of the better things. You know, the hardship that we dislike is the fire that turns us from slag to steel, right? And men have had it rough. But that's the strength that men have going forward, in my opinion. So I think it's the opportunity for a fantastic series of conversations that could bring true intimacy to your relationship with her. And what an incredible opportunity she might have in that regard. <clears throat> so, yeah, like the uh, key is really getting her to look into her self-knowledge rather than convincing her of any politics it's not about donald trump yeah none of, none of this shit is about donald trump fundamentally he's just a guy he's just a dude uh, an impressive dude <laughs> but it's not it's not about, it's not about donald trump it's about her friends it's about her family it's about uh whether she's willing to take an unpopular stand and it's about asking why that unpopular why, why was why was she programmed the way she was programmed that's what it's about donald trump is barely a symptom in these conversations. But it is a potent symptom at the moment. There's enough of a differentiator here that people are being shaken out of their programming. And I mean this for men and women, and I mean this on the left and the right and everywhere in between. So, yeah, I think uh, seize, seize the day and uh, get close. And what the hell was it like for her growing up without a dad or with a bad dad or with a dad she didn't see for months at a time or what was it like for her growing up without a father figure? That's what this stuff is about. It's not. You know, why is it that so many women are so easy to turn against a male in authority? Because they have father issues. Because they don't know their fathers, or they're not close to their fathers, or their fathers weren't around, or their fathers were around were bad. So, what an opportunity. It's not about Trump, it's not about the election. But there's a crack. 
a crack in the programming. And, and in my view, that should be seized at every conceivable opportunity in others and in yourself, wherever you can get a hold of it. All right? Yeah. Will you let us know how it goes? Absolutely, sir. Yeah, do give her my props as well for what it's worth for how she handled it. That could have gone a lot worse. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Really, uh, really interesting. And I um, uh, thanks for letting me go full sexist. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steph. It's all, it's, it's all right. Take care, man. Thank you. Bye. All the best. All right. Up next, we have James. James wrote in and said, why do leftists say they prize diversity in society, but nevertheless seem to ignore the most profound differences among the world's cultures? How can those who value the heritage of Western civilization lead others to properly appreciate the existence of different cultural worldviews and assumptions? That's from James. Well, hey, Jim, how you doing tonight? Yeah, the background is I lived for many years in West Africa, mostly in, in uh, small language groups doing Bible translation, and I got a, a chance to uh, observe firsthand, well, actually be part of or be get integrated into uh, – a number of different local cultures, one in the rainforest uh, in West African country and another in the Sahel up near Lake Chad. So both West African cultures, but very, very different in in, in tone uh, in the way they did things and in cultural assumptions as well. Anyway, it was a great laboratory. So I came back to the States. It was during the time when uh, Bill Clinton was president. And... Uh, and I really saw a shift in the rhetoric, uh, in the news media and in society. I thought I saw a shift. And what I saw was uh, a, a growing emphasis on what they called multiculturalism, cultural diversity. But I could never quite figure out what they saw in it. I saw, I heard a bunch of platitudes. But as far as I could see, uh, they were willing to, uh, the, the, uh, where I ran into it firsthand was on college campuses taking my kids to orient, orient, orient them to, into freshman classes, you know, on big college campuses here in North Carolina. And I heard we got an earful of multiculturalism, cultural diversity, but I observed that in the matters that really seemed to, in the things that, in the areas of life that really seemed to matter, uh, they extended uh, uh, no no room for real profound cultural diversity was extended. It, it it amounted to basically skin color and maybe different cuisine, things like that. And I thought that the the profound the profound differences among cultures uh, are are being ignored here. And to this day, in the political rhetoric and on the social rhetoric, I still think the same thing is happening. So, how do you account for it? Well, why do you think the left is interested in what they call diversity? That's your sort of basic question to me, right? Yeah. I think it's a con. Well, because third world cultures vote for the left, right? I think it's a scam. Yeah, of course it's a scam. I'm gonna, they don't, if the left cared about diversity, they'd go around hiring more Republicans. <laughs> no, seriously, Republicans yeah. or Republican-leaning people, like half the U.S. population, give or take, Sure as hell isn't half the editorial board of the reporting board or the reporting pool in the New York Times, right? Half the, half the population. Imagine if, imagine if Republicans were women. Yeah. And leftists were men. Well, then you'd have in academia, 
and among reporters and uh, among movie makers and television makers and script writers and so on, 95% men and 5% women. And of those 5% women, 4% would have to dress as men and pretend to be men in the same way that conservatives have to bite their tongue and pretend they agree with liberals if they want a job in liberal land, right? Oh, yes, I know it very well. So they have no interest in diversity whatsoever because they're willing to exclude half the population from the seat of power in order to pursue their agenda. Not only that. No, they're, they're, I mean, it's, it, identity politics is just about arousing resentment uh, around um, minority groups and women uh, in order to have them vote for the left so the left can give them stuff and they won't feel guilty because they've been hard done by. I was just going to say, and it's also about uh, cultivating guilt big time. Big time. Now, I'm a Christian. I think there's only properly one thing to do with guilt, and that is to take it to the cross of Christ. But what happens when you have a superlatively guilty person, uh, a guilty uh, appearing person? I, I think Angela Merkel, for example, in Germany, is probably a card-carrying guilty German, and she wants to impose her guilt for the actions of Germany in the 20th, 20th century, 19th century too, perhaps, but the rest of her countrymen. Uh, and uh, this is the only explanation I can find for the sort of what I will call cultural self-hatred that she seems to exemplify. And of course, she's not alone. Uh, the the phenomenon of hating one's own culture, in this case, the, the, the heritage of Western civilization, is it's absolutely, I think it may be unique in the annals of mankind, actually. And I think it arises partly, not all, but partly from extreme guilt. Uh, are you, you're aware, I'm sure, of the great distinction that anthropologists and social scientists uh, 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 draw between uh, honor-shame societies on one hand and guilt societies on the other hand, right? Yeah, but why don't you break it out a bit for the listeners? Okay. <clears throat> honor-shame societies are collectivistic societies. Uh, we have, in a collectivistic society, take an African tribe, for example. Uh, you have to toe the line. Uh, you aren't really allowed to do any sort of independent thinking yourself. Your thinking has to be approved by the group, in, the, in that case, the tribe. Uh, and if you step out of line, then then people think badly of you, and you become ashamed. A shame, in the technical sense, is simply the the lowering of people's esteem of you. Okay, whereas honor is the opposite. Honor, if you rise in honor, that means that people think better of you now than they thought of you before. So, in other words, in such a society in general, my self-image, the image I have of myself, um, really depends upon the image that I think others have of me. That is the essence of the dynamics of self-image in an, in an honor-shame society. It's not what I think inside that counts. It's what I do on the outside that can be observed. 
in our sort of uh, traditional Western society uh, called guilt societies, people can look at us with a certain opinion, but but I might have a I can have a different, completely different opinion of myself because I have what's called a conscience. And I listen to my conscience. And my view of my own personhood actually is heavily, heavily formed by my view of my own conscience. It's not formed by other people's view of me. It's formed by my own view of... In fact, social scientists have said that basically um, the modern view of what it means to be a person, an autonomous person, an individual person, actually is not more than four or five hundred years old. Makes you stop and think. And well, and your conscience, of course, your conscience. Sorry to interrupt, but your conscience is not something that is subjective or whim-based, but it would be bound by uh, Christian ethics, Christian commandments, right? Yes, the sort of the art typical example of this would be, for example, St. Athanasius in, in the 300s when he, com- when he combats uh, the heresy of Arianism, which had basically taken over the, the Mediterranean world. And it was so bad that basically he, he was Orthodox and the rest of the Mediterranean Christian world was Arian. At his tomb, they wrote, Athanasius against the world. Now, in an honor-shame society, that could not happen. You have to toe the line. It's only in a, 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 in a creeping individualism that we get to, that, that, that it's even thinkable of one person uh, opposing the multitude like that. Um, and that's what we have today. But the thing is, if you view it as a pendulum, the the individualism and in, the individualism now in Western society is actually off the charts. When you think about it in these terms, so now it's not simply I get I get to choose what I what work I want to do in life. I mean, how long has that been the case? Not for very long. Uh, I get to choose my gender for all for all love. I get to choose everything about myself. The individualism in our society is actually off the charts, and in my view, unsustainable. It has to swing back. It can't, it can't, it, it can't be sustained in this direction. Um, you mean sort of individualism without responsibility, without social cohesion, without um, exactly. sense of, of community devolves into sort of narcissism. Is that what you mean? Well, and into an unsustainable anarchism. Anarchy. Uh, in my view, actually in Europe, in Western Europe, uh, what will stop it will be Sharia law. That'll stop it in a heartbeat. Sorry, is Sharia law? Is that right? Yes, Sharia law. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go on. So, um, uh, honor-shame societies are heavily collectivistic societies where people have to toe the line um, there are many different varieties of, of honor shame societies. Um, but they do all take, ha- have some things in common. We, our Western heritage, our, the heritage of our Western civilization, 
is built upon a in this in this point of view, but the heritage of Western civilization then is built upon an increasing individualism, but an individualism that is a responsible individualism. It is a mature individualism, able to able to uh, accept responsibility, to accept obligations, to to uh, and and above all, a, a, a sort of person who knows his place in society and his place before God. Okay? And uh, that's what I see as, as, as some of the large heritage of Western civilization. Well, if you take out God, and if you substitute uh, sexual appetites, for example, uh, in the place of responsibility, and if you if you decide to see how many different ways you can experience orgasm, uh, if you live for pleasure, then, of course, uh, how do you, how do you, you can't, you cannot sustain any sense of responsibility. And you have. Well, but that's, um, <clears throat> sorry to interrupt, but I mean, that, that to me all arises from, uh, things like the welfare state and all of that, where the natural curb to our appetites is consequences. And if, the government, through violation of "Thou shalt not steal," takes money from more responsible more responsible people who are getting up early and go to work and and give it to less responsible people. Then you strip consequences from those who have not internalized their ethics, who don't restrain their behavior because of a sense of moral virtue or dignity or restraint or wisdom, but would restrain their negative behaviors because they fear the consequences of them. And and look, I don't. It's nicer if people curb their, themselves because of morality, but I'm also fine with them curbing themselves because of consequences. Oh, yes. Like, I, I, if somebody doesn't do something harmful because it's wrong and they would feel bad about it, or, or if they're afraid of going to jail, well, okay, uh, that's fine. That's, I mean, I'd rather it be the former, but I'll certainly take the latter. And so the violation of the Christian ethic, thou shalt not steal which is the foundation of the welfare state, the forcible redistribution of money, um, that is uh, something that has stripped consequences and turned particularly the less intelligent among us into a life of uh, moral decay and, and so on, because we need consequences for people who aren't smart enough for internalized ethics or who aren't, whatever, don't have that bent or whatever. You need consequences because not everyone is going to be a Socrates. Yes, and the galling thing, one of the galling things, is that all of this is being perpetrated in the name of freedom. But freedom is simply being redefined as security. You can be secure or you can be free, but you can't be... Well, yeah, it's gone from, it's gone from the masculine definition to the feminine definition. Yes, but in the end you will be neither secure nor free. <laughs> so it's a scam. Sure. Uh, if it is a scam, but but it's a scam that runs many generations. Therefore, for the first people, it's a permanent uh, benefit. Yes. For anyone really interested in pursuing and reading about honor, shame, uh, ethics, honor, shame society versus guilt society, uh, there's all kinds of things you can find online about it. Uh, if you read even the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what becomes apparent is that Jesus is mounting a full-scale assault on honor-shame thinking. 
it's fascinating to read it from that from that perspective. I've told the students that I've taught, mostly freshmen and sophomores in college down here in North Carolina, I've led them through the Sermon on the Mount in that in that in that with that perspective. And some of them get it. Some of them get it. Um but the the uh, I even wrote a book, Bible and Culture, in w- which leads the students through large themes in the Bible from a cultural, a cultural thematic standpoints. Honor, shame versus guilt societies, collectivistic versus individualistic societies, and crucially, pollution societies versus non-pollution societies. And uh, readers, your listeners can read up on all this stuff. It's wonderful. It, it, it's so productive, the, the, this sort of cultural sort of approach, which the left simply avoids, like the plague. I noticed that the, uh, I noticed that Roger Scruton, in talking about the, at that time, the upcoming Brexit vote, made only passing reference to economic pros and cons of staying in or leaving the the EU. But on the other hand, he was all about culture. And I thought, good for him. Good for him. Because it's it's not anything that's on the left's radar screen. There's also a wonderful very delightful reading uh, 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 article online called, perhaps you know it, Steph, Why Arabs Lose Wars by Colonel Norval B. Datkine. Why Arabs no. Lose Wars. And again, he he takes, a, he attempts to produce a, a, a cultural explanation, or at least cultural informing of of the differences that he saw between his own home culture, American culture, and Arab culture. Wonderful reading. So I would plead with, uh, I would plead with, uh, people who value Western, Western civilization to think about the, the, the cultural dynamics that have gone in to building up Western civilization to what we have today or what we're what we're losing today, actually, to be more accurate, in my in my view, and then that leads me to just to think about what can we do to. I'm focused on the young people, the young generation. What can we do to help them understand the treasure that they are in great danger of losing? Is that a question for me, or were you going to take a swing at that? You take a swing at it. I'd be interested to hear. Yeah, so how how do we help the young become more rational without turning them against the old? Because if we're saying to the young, you are not rational, then either they were not born rational and they have not been corrected in their irrationality, or, which is even worse, they were born rational and they have been bullied out of their rationality. In other words, how do we say to young men and young women, you are broken without implying that someone broke them? 
And this, of course, is the great challenge. We are naturally loyal to our elders in general, at least in the West, there's a little bit less of that, and that the idea that we should judge our parents by moral standards rather than just the very fact that they're parents, that we should have ethics rather than a mere biological hierarchy. But um, there has been such a great abandonment of the young in the West that it's hard to know how to resurrect the opportunities of the young without also stirring in them significant hatred towards their elders, which of course can be a difficult and unstable force in society. And the abandonment of the young for the sake of the pleasures of the elders is something that really should not be, um, it really can't be overestimated just how powerful that is. You know, we hear all these stories of the moms who will turn over, like lift up a carb with adrenaline to, to get their children trapped out from underneath and all the parents say, oh, I would do anything for, I would sacrifice anything for my children, I'd do anything for my children. Really? Well, how about we take on government unions in schools? How about we take on the welfare state? How about we take on terrible family courts that shred families uh, and, and swallow them whole? Uh, how about uh, we take on national debt? How about we take on unfunded liabilities? All the betrayals of the young that we have made for the sake of contentment and peace of mind in the present. We have a terribly unparented society at the moment. The, the parents, in general, are doing very little to avert the very clear and obvious disasters that are coming up in the world as a result of their choices and their parents' choices and their parents' parents' choices. And if the young, at some point, realize how elementally and fundamentally uncared for by society as a whole they have been, well, I mean, I think they get it unconsciously. I think a lot of the hysteria, the social justice warrior stuff, you know, what I call the daycare generation, well, all of this is arising out of a profound sense or feeling of being unloved. It's a great song by Jan Arden from years ago called Unloved. People falling, 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 and I don't know where they're falling from. Unloved. It's a great song. You should uh, listen to it. And I think that this sense of being unloved, uncared for, unsacrificed for. Now I, get, I get these messages from people who talk about the sacrifices that their parents made for their well-being, for their security, for their comfort, for their opportunities. And there is a profound sense of gratitude there and a profound sense of obligation and loyalty and love. And I respect that. I, th I think it's great. But the people whose parents were more focused on their careers, the people whose parents dumped them in daycares, the people whose parents, you know, when they would come home from school, bored, alienated, angry, frustrated, restless. And the parents said, well, that's just school. Suck it up, basically, in one way or another. They may have said it more nicely. And when they come home laden down with ridiculous, useless, pointless, Soviet-style busy work homework, there's no studies that show that homework has anything to do with improving education. It's just another way in which socialist systems attack and corrode the quality of family life. To assign all of this homework to people, to children. And then there's all these endless conflicts between parents. And, and the children 
have a right to be angry. The children are not all right, contra the who. And how do we tell the children or the young adults, well, your parents chose not to fight for better schooling for you because it just seemed too tough. And your parents chose not to fight for lower government spending because it seemed too tough. And your parents decided not to oppose endless waves of third world immigration because they didn't want to be called racists or whatever it is, whatever it is. At some point, I wonder, I mean, I truly wonder, when do young people really lose respect for their parents? And you think of the amount of parasite that is going on in movies these days. It's really, it's quite shocking. As is, was the case in 1930s Germany as well. So, to save the young, we must first tell them how broken they've been by their elders, by society, by schools, by culture. And that is going to awaken a lot of anger. And, and naturally, I mean, and I can't say unjustly, it's gonna, they're going to be angry. And then the parents freak out. Political correctness also comes from the hypersensitivity of the parents, a lot of times, who know that they've not done a great job of parenting. And they know that they've not put their children into very productive and positive environments for a healthy development of critical thinking and rationality and so on. And so the parents have a guilty conscience and are sensitive to criticism. And come on, there's legitimate criticisms that the young have of their elders. The world has not been passed down well. There are many, I'm not just talking about the financial liabilities, also the cultural liabilities, the liabilities of multiculturalism, diversity, questionably compatible immigration waves, and so on. The, the, the debt can be defaulted on, the multiculturalism can't. Right? So, once the young know how broken they've been by the indifference of their elders, then there's a chance that they can be made whole again. But given how they've been sold down the river for the sake of immediate social comfort, for the sake of conflict avoidance on the part of their elders, for the sake of not rustling anybody's jimmies, that's what they've been sold for. That's what they've been betrayed for. And I think that's contemptible. I think that's mean-spirited. I think it's small-minded. And I think a lot of effort is being poured out in society at the moment to keep the judgment of the young away from the actions of their elders. And I have a great deal of sympathy. You know, I was just saying this to the last caller, like his, his girlfriend, she's been programmed. She, I mean, how can she... It's like some 20-year-old kid who's raised in a communist dictatorship and you say, well, why are you a communist? It's like, well, I don't even know what the word communist means. This is just reality. You, can you blame that person for being a con? No. This is how they were raised, how they were indoctrinated. Now, at some point, I hope, at some point, the elders who have a conscience left within them will stand up and say, the choices we made should not accrue to the children. The consequences of the decisions we made as adults should not accrue to the young. 
That's a basic principle of justice, right? The debts of the father are not passed on to the child. And the people who didn't have children or who didn't have many children, at some point, they may develop enough of a conscience to say, well, we really can't have old age security because we demanded that the young pay for the old and then we didn't have any kids. And that's fair. Now, whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know. Maybe I won't hold my breath, but that would be the just thing to happen. So I think the young are perfectly capable of being saved, but there's an emotional Mariana Trench that needs to be crossed first that uh, I think could be quite destabilizing within society. What do you think? Well, I think that lecturing the young doesn't work. Uh, Only in the rare case might it bear a little fruit. I think what the young need to see is examples of people standing up against the great evil. Well, I certainly hope that uh, people find inspiration uh, and that there are more courageous people uh, who who step up. But I'm going to move on to the next caller, but I really appreciate your call, Jim. It was a great pleasure to chat. And, uh, yeah, I think the books that you recommended, the approaches that you take are important. And the other thing, too, you know, like we've talked about sort of IQ and ethnicity in this show and um, how the sort of the Japanese and Koreans and, and Chinese and so on. High IQs, but, of course, there is a problem of um, the collectivist ethic in, in that society, the shame-based societies and so on and, uh, uh, and so on. So, you know, again, it's not just IQ. There is more to it than that when it comes to um, defending Western values. Uh, if you're not particularly original, then you tend not to value freedom of speech as much. Uh, and so, anyway, I just wanted to mention that, but thanks a lot for your call. Appreciate it, and let's move on to the next caller. All right, up next we have Tyler. Tyler wrote in and said... What do you believe are the largest factors contributing to the social and economic collapse in the Western world over the last 40 years? That's from Tyler. Hey, Tyler. How's it going? Good evening, Stefan. Uh, do you want me to just launch in? Do you, want to, do you want to add anything? No. If you have any questions for me, other than that, just dig right in, man. Um, why 40 years? Well, that's about as far back as I've studied in depth. Like, my knowledge about what happened before Kennedy is really sparse. And I noticed, right. especially things have accelerated with the particular administrations that have been in power. Right, right. The time to solve cultural problems is at the beginning, not later on. Um, there's an old saying when I was a kid, and it, it, you know, I, don't, I think that these sort of sayings have kind of fallen by the wayside, which is a shame, because a lot of wisdom, and it's, it says a, a stitch in time, saves nine. If you repair something early, it doesn't get more torn. Or an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's better to prevent yourself from getting ill than to try and cure yourself when you're ill. The earlier the intervention, the easier it is to change something too, right? You know, like if you have a GPS and you take a wrong turn, it says recalculating, right? And it tries to get you back. And so you know right away and you try to get back to it. But if you don't have a GPS and you drive on for another half a day, well, you are a long way away from your goal. In uh, all honesty, that kind of sounds like exactly what's been happening. Well, no, I'm talking about what's been happening further back than 40 years. So let me, let me tell you my sort of very brief belief or argument for the genesis of what we're facing at the moment. Yes, please. We're all ears. Thank you. All right. Age of Reason, Age of Enlightenment. They said, enough with this God business. And they had great arguments, rational proofs, and I've used some of them and come up with some of my own. I've got a whole book called Against the Gods, a refutation in particular of 
agnosticism. And they said, enough of this God stuff. Now, one of the problems with philosophers is they don't get how smart they are. And this was my journey as well. I, I didn't really understand how smart I was until I had more exposure to <laughs> YouTube. No, I <laughs> had more exposure to people as a whole. And once I was realized how smart I was, I realized that my particular mental patterns were not reproducible to others. In terms of like, well, I'll just be good because rational consistency and an innate sense of virtue and a conscience and all of that. Well, there are lots of people who don't have that kind of stuff. And for those people, religion sufficed, right? There were people who were good because they studied Socrates and there were people who were good because they feared going to hell and they wanted to get into heaven. Now, when the philosophers overturned religion, they projected their own capacities onto the world. They said, well, I'm a good person without superstition and so will the rest of the world be? And lo and behold, this did not come to pass. With the fall of God came the rise of totalitarianism, came the rise of the First World War, the Second World War, the central banking, the Great Depression, the Cold War, the War on Terror. And now part of this was technology. I understand all of that. But if moral character had improved at the same rate as technology or even one-tenth the same rate, we'd be in a much different place in society. So philosophers who were able to achieve virtue, those who did, were able to achieve virtue with, the, with neither gods nor governments, thought, well, if we get rid of God, then the superstition which impeded me and which constricted me will be removed and human virtue will, will rock it up. Restraint, like free of its restraints, it will rock it up. Now, this was not the case. That when people lost God, I'm really talking about the West here, when people lost God, they became shallow, materialistic, short-sighted. You know, God is a great way to train people in the deferral of gratification because you defer your gratification until after you're dead in heaven and hell. Well, have heaven, of course, in the gratification side. So it trains people who aren't as smart, who aren't as innately good as some people. I mean, it, it trains them into how to defer gratification, how to be good, why to be good. Now, this giant underpinning of Christianity in the West. It was like that magic trick. Everyone tries it when they're a kid. You know, the magic trick where you whip off the tablecloth and all of the stuff on the table, like the plates and, and the knives and forks and the decanters and the glasses, they all stay, right? You, you rip off the table. And this is what they thought. They will, God is the tablecloth. We'll whip it out and society will still stand. And it did not. It did not. And so what happened was the argument for virtue for the less intellectually endowed fell away. And they wandered around in search of a new master. They had a master who told them to be good and what goodness was, and they obeyed that master, the priest, the god, the religion. And then that was decapitated and they did not grow ahead. Right? They were just zombies in, in search of a new master. And so... When the government educated them, it started in the mid to late 19th century, they adhered to the God. And when the government said, go to war, they went to war. The government said, go to war again, they went to war again. The government said, we're taking your gold, gave up their gold. We're taking your freedoms, gave up their freedoms. 
Because as we know, or as I've argued for before, the rise of socialism, modern socialism, Marxism, Leninism, and the progressive and progressive movement, Fabian socialists and so on, all started mid to late 19th century, early 20th century, and, and, and coincided fairly significantly with the fall of God in uh, certain circles. Now, understanding that what was necessary for society, if you want to take Christianity, if you want to take the moral rules of Christianity out of the equation, what is necessary is that you give people something else. And philosophers should have dropped everything they were doing and worked to develop a system of ethics that could be explained to a five-year-old that was compelling enough for people to be good, who weren't going to be good because they're innately good or because they were philosophers or because whatever, right? So they didn't do that. And I, I would argue that really wasn't worked on solidly until I worked on universally preferable behavior, a rational proof of secular ethics, which is one of the first things I did. And it wasn't an accident that it was one of the first things I did. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to spin the wheel and see what I should work on. If you're going to say, no gods, no governments, you've got to give people some reason to be good. And I needed an explanation of virtue that was simple enough to explain to a four or five-year-old. And I did. And it worked. It's no problem. It's easy to integrate. It's easy to understand. Maybe hard to theorize for me to sort of explain it. Once it's, and I've done it countless times on this show, and it's, it's the answer. But the philosophers didn't do that. They say, oh, well, you know, we'll get rid of God, and then, you know, people will just be wonderful. No. You got rid of God, you got the state, which is worse than God. Worse than God. God doesn't tax. There's a tithe, but you still have to be part of the religion. And um, now people get mad because uh, in certain uh, aspects of Islam, if you leave the religion, you're subject to the death penalty, right? The penalty for apostasy is death. That seems like a huge red flag right there. Well, but this is the state. If you don't pay your taxes, they'll throw you in jail. Ooh, some blogger in Saudi Arabia is getting 10,000 lashes for some, I don't know, some religious question or whatever it was, right? That's it's terrible, so, absolutely horrible. So bat shit backwards and crazy. Well, okay, but, you know, don't pay your taxes. They'll throw you in jail where you get beaten up and raped, and right? I mean, so my point is that if philosophers had worked and said, okay, well, we're, we're, we're really taking out the reason for ordinary people to be good. We're taking away God. We're taking away the commandments. We're taking away heaven. We're taking away hell. We're taking away sin. We're taking away redemption and confession and the central moral fabric of our society, ripping it out. What are we going to replace it with? I think they thought, well, we get rid of this and everything's going to go well. Well, and Nietzsche was the first to understand this, I think, and he said no. You will get uh, totalitarianism because people need a leader. Now, the whole point of UPB is, is you can be, you, you know what virtue is, you know why, uh, why be virtuous, and uh, therefore you can be self-directed in that. You don't need a leader to define virtue for you because it's defined for yourself rationally, and it's easy to, to follow. It's hard to follow for people who've been indoctrinated in nihilism or other 
irrational or anti-rational belief systems. But, you know, in the same way, it's tough to do math if someone's yelling random numbers into your ear, but it's, you know, I've explained it very well to little children and it's fine. Um, so that should have been job one, is, is to prevent the power vacuum of the absence of morality from being filled by the power of the state. And philosophers did not do that. To their eternal shame and to the death of hundreds of millions of people through the state, not even counting war, probably half a billion people counting war in the 20th century alone. A quarter of a billion outside of war, democide, right? Include wars. And that's when the problem should have been dealt with because if philosophers had said, okay, well, we're getting rid of God, we better give people another good reason to be virtuous and they could have sat down and they could have worked out something like UPB or UPB itself. I beg your pardon, what's, what are those? UPB. Um, universally preferable behavior. It's my rational proof of secular ethics. Okay. Uh, they, they, they should have said, okay, well, now we need re- a reason for the average person to be good, the person of IQ between 80 and 100, 105, 110, whatever, right? The smarter people recognize, I mean, in general, virtue increases as intelligence increases. But we all got to live with the bell curve, right? We all got to live with the people who are less intelligent. So before, they would maybe restrained through God, through hell, through rewards, right? Through, right? And this was all taken away. And what did they provide people with? Nothing. Nothing. People wandering around, what should I be? What should I do? Why be good? And then there were hedonists who came along and said, hey, to hell with being good. Enjoy yourself. Boom. Societal decay, collapse of the family. Other people came along and said, well, it's obedience to the state. It's collectivism. That's going to make you good. The common good or whatever, right? Boom. You get totalitarianism. And so to me, what unraveled the West was ditching God without teaching simple, comprehensible, easy to understand virtue that you can explain to a five-year-old that isn't John Rawls' theory of justice, if you were floating in a... I mean, so that to me is why we've ended up where we've ended up. I think there's still time to turn it around, but not a lot of time. And um, how much has flown out of that, um, the, that initial abandonment of the duty? You know, if, if, you, if, if people are out in the ocean and, and you take away their raft, you've got to give them something else or they're just going to drown. And the philosophers took away the moral cohesion and worldview of Western civilization and provided nothing for the average person. Stefan, philosophers to organize tend, their to kind of, they tend to be kind of introverted too, especially uh, without social media back in the day, like we have it today. Oh, you mean philosophers? Yeah, they're introverts. Come on. They're yeah, and a lot of them are this is why psychotic they like... and a lot of them are assholes, right? I mean, let's be frank. But that's, <laughs> that, those are good attributes. Well, maybe the not the psychotic asshole? one. Was... No, the, asshole, <laughs> the asshole I could get behind, the psychotic, not so much. Okay, I don't want to necessarily go down those definitional paths, but um, so uh, I would, yeah, I would say that sort of where we're at right now is a long shadow cast by the breaking down of one structure that supported society and gave it a sense of virtue. The the breaking down of that, you know, since 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 the cathedrals were torn down, we've all just been nomads of the now. So I would say um, uh, 
we really, really need to start talking about virtue and uh, happiness and goodness again. And not the way that Socrates did, not the way that Aristotle did, pursuit of excellence and eudaimonia, eudaimonia and so on. We need to really start talking and not the world spirit of, of Hegel and not the collectivism and the golden rule. Like we need to really start digging in and giving a sense of virtue that does not require gods, does not require governments, that simply requires a simple reasoning of a four-year-old or five-year-old. And uh, that is uh, what I've been working on, uh, trying to get out to the world. And that's, I think, uh, you know, it's not going to solve the problem tomorrow. But uh, anything that solves the problem tomorrow is going to have it recrop up, re crop up again the day after. So I hope that helps. So uh, back to my original question in regards to the social and economic decline. I'm sorry, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I just answered that as best I can. I meant the, uh, I guess specifically, we can move on to another question. We can do that. I uh, I just wanted to say I liked your your male aggression and female vanity comments on some of your podcasts before. That's very right. clever. Can you elaborate on that for us a little bit? No, I can't because I've got a show coming up about that. So I'm going to hold off of that oh. until I've sort of got my thoughts all organized. But uh, I really do appreciate the question. I'm going to move on to the next caller. But thanks so much for the question. It gave me a great uh, tunnel to dig through <laughs> over the days. So thanks a lot. And I hope uh, it was uh, helpful to people. Thanks. Thank you very much. Bye. All right, up next is Stephen. Stephen wrote in and said, I am a Donald Trump supporter and confronted leftists at anti-Donald Trump protests. My mission is to directly confront the left with alt-right views, but they often react with violence instead of conversation. I understand these people are upset for their own reason, but does disobedience have the responsibility to be nonviolent? That's from Stephen. Hi, Stefan. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. So, um, so yeah, I've been, um, I've confront, I've, I've been to, I went to the Trump protest the day after Trump was our president elect. And, uh, I would say there was a lot of controversy that happened there, but, um, and, uh, I believe in the non-aggression principle. And I also had a lot of inspiration from, um, from your channel as well. And uh, I went there with a uh, a a sign that said "peaceful transition," and I had a Trump hat. I guess I kind of put a target on my head when I put my Trump hat on. But um, yeah, so I went over there, and then I was minding my own business, and uh, these uh, they they dress up like I don't know how to call it. There's like there's like a certain dress code a lot of them follow, which they wear the. Uh, the communist uh, bandana things around their face and stuff. Uh, it's a bit of a stereotype, but it's just a really common thing with them. And um, eventually they just started attacking me and stuff. So I just wanted to know is, do, do these people, do they have a some type of obligation to be peaceful and not be lashing out like this? And I remain... Well, hang on, how did, they, uh, how did they attack you? Okay, well, there are several occasions. So I'm not being skeptical, I just want a description if that's all right. Oh yeah, no problem. Um, well, I wish I brought a camera just in case, but I didn't want to bring, I didn't want to lose a camera cause that costs money. But, uh, anyways, um, so the, the first one was, uh, I don't really care about verbal assaults, but once they saw me, I guess they were triggered in a way. So they were like, F Trump, F you, you shouldn't be here. This is our protest. And I was on the side. I was, I was not 
in the way of them because I didn't want to look like I was trying to antagonize them. I was just holding my sign, walking on the other side of the road because they were on they, the police had them separated. And so uh, one girl, or no, they they really started to hate me when one of some of their guys they drew a garbage can on the side of the in in front of this car actually, and this is uh, downtown in Chicago to be precise. Um, they dragged a garbage can in front of a car, and I put that garbage can back. And once and once they saw me touching that garbage can, all I saw was five guys just storming at me. And um, they didn't really do anything to me, but I felt one of them try to hit my t- Trump hat off, and they were all yelling and stuff. I didn't I didn't understand what they were saying because it was a little bit too chaotic. I was too focused on getting this huge gar- uh, these huge steel garbage cans on the side. And then they told me you should get the f out of here, this and that. And um, I told them I showed my sign. I was like, you know, I'm being peaceful. Um, I'm respecting you. Uh, please respect me. And I just continued on my way because I didn't want to uh, get in an argue in some stupid argument like, oh, you're stupid, you're stupid. It's like, no, I'm going to be respect me. I respect you. So that was the first altercation. And then the second altercation was some girl came came on my blind spot and spit at me because and then uh wow yeah and then uh and then she didn't do it in my face she just ran away right away but i just kept on walking but she kind of like just spit on the side it was more like a mist so but i kept on my way and then um and then i was walking and then i just this then and then they I guess you could say social justice warriors could be a bit more accurate and then a glass bottle landed right behind me all I heard was, and you heard like uh, them screaming and stuff. I kept walking, and then uh, someone threw a. It was actually a highlighter marker on the back of my head while I was walking mm. straight on the side. And when when they did that, I was actually not even in the view of the protesters. I guess some of them were stalking behind me. And um, the next time, uh, this guy who happened to be car- be carrying the Mexico flag, and you know, he was charging at me with his flag. And so I was backpedaling just to watch my back and stuff. And um, I was showing him my sign. I'm like, hey, leave me alone. I'm being peaceful. He's like, no, just get on my way. And so eventually I start zigzagging in motion. So I'm like, okay, he's just running. So I start zigzagging in motions, backpedaling. I see him running toward me. And he's actually trying to run into me, and he's saying, get out of my way, get out of my way. So this guy's obviously trying to look for trouble. So that was another uh, almost confrontation. And then um, he eventually gave up because I guess he could be a little more athletic. And then the next altercation was when – because they kind of chased me gradually up to the front of the line, which was, uh, I guess, where I really – were. I guess, hey, guess what? I got in the front of the line. So – and in the front of the line, I started to get a lot of attention, as, as you can imagine. Right. And so then they had the um, all these guys dressed up in black and their masks, like they're they're dressed up like that stereotypical communist protest guys. Um, people were saying leave them alone and stuff, but all these guys that were all dressed similar, they all started charging at me and I started jogging forward. I'm like, Hey, you guys leave me alone. I'm a peaceful transition sign with a heart on it. Right. And they're saying, uh, I said, Hey, be peaceful. And they're like, what peace 
F piece. And so they started chasing me still. And then I felt a bunch of kicks and the, in, in the back of my legs and stuff when I was running for them. And, uh, I do have a purple and black mark still on my thigh, but I'm not going to show that cause no one really wants to see my groin. But, um, so, but I, I still remained peaceful. I just ran away from them and they didn't get too far away from their, um, from their, from their group. So they're like really, they're really click based in how they act on things. And so I got kicked several times while running away from them. And then, uh, and then, yeah, from then, from then on, I kept uh, like a really far distance and that was all the times I was assaulted as a, at a Trump protest. And then um, a lot of them said, F peace, like, what the hell are you talking about, peace? Uh, and they all wanted, like, they all wanted, it seemed like they all really wanted to fight for some reason. And mm. and me, I'm a pretty big build. Like, I have somewhat of a fight training background and, you know, um, I have somewhat of a fight training background. I'm pretty athletic. That's why they couldn't really get to me. Like I have like tree trunk boxing lugs. And um, a lot of them, uh, I could have defended myself. But the thing is, uh, I wanted to remain peaceful. I didn't want to get in a fight. And to my surprise, these people were seriously kids. I'm talking, these people, they didn't even seem like they were legal to vote. You know? Mm. They they didn't seem like they were legal to vote. They all seemed underage. And you know what? If I'm if I, if I'm not a minor, and you know what? If I'm gonna define myself, I'm not. I'm gonna pick on someone my own size, not these sleeky little kids that are just looking for self empowerment, in my opinion. But um, that was my experience there. And then um, I guess you could say. I guess you could say they had a lot of white hate signs too, because and I was the I'm, you're white, right? Um, yeah, technically. Uh, I guess you could say. Wait, I, what do you mean I, technically? I, guess you could, I don't know what that means. Well, yeah, I look white, but I'm mixed. So I'm, you mixed, I'm okay? White. But yeah, they they would white, assume so. you're white. Is that right? Yeah, they, they yeah they assume I'm white. Plus, I wore a Trump. And yeah, you uh, white white mestizo. What's your mix? Um, Eastern European and like my um, Montenegrin and uh, Albanian. Montenegro is like Ma- Serbian, Serbian, like a Serbian, Serbian Albanian. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not real big on my ethnicities out there. What is that? What about that is not white? Well, so, some people, some people generalize Albanians as uh, Middle Eastern type of people. But, oh, um, like Arabic kind of thing? Yeah, like Arabic or something. I, 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 I say, I say white, but just in case people, that's like a little social ethnic thing people lose that lose their crap off of. But um, if if you're not into the complexities of genetics, then you are perceived as white by those around you, right? Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, okay, got okay. it. So then, the people who were attacking you were Hispanic, mestizo, sorry. Yeah, the well, the guy with the Mexico flag, he was definitely Hispanic because he had he also had an accent. But right. um, the other guys. I would say most of them were actually white, which um, actually most of the protests there were actually white. And that's just an observation that I noticed. Sure. And um, this got me really like uh, I don't want to – I've started to go to all the – I've started to investigate a lot of their events and stuff. And um, what I found out is that they're actually 
it's it's really crazy how these things like I, I I come from a technology background. Like I would be Clinton's worst nightmare if I knew where her server was. And I, uh-huh. I and um you know, I'm I'm a I'm a web developer and you know I've I'm I've been dealing with servers since I was sixteen and stuff. But this got me really into um, investigating these these protesters because I'm like, you know what, these guys kicked me and stuff. I don't want to fight because I want to remain peaceful and you know, and um, you know how could I fight back or investigate or understand these people? So I started to look into more of the cyber side of things. So this this uh, the protests that are being organized specifically in Chicago because I can't speak for everywhere else. Specifically in Chicago, they're being organized by these Chicago mark. Uh, the Socialist Alternative Party, like they're basically just a Marxism party, and um, that's where I, I see all these guys. They all have these socialist signs and stuff, and they all look alike. It's like, yeah, these guys are definitely organizing somehow. Right. And uh, you can even go on their Facebook pages, and they post their events and their their meetings. Like tomorrow, they're arranging a uh, protest downtown to uh, protest Trump. There's going to be uh, quite a lot of people there, and. Um, I, I went yesterday to try to see where they were and the address they gave. These people are actually meeting in educational institutions. The, the educational institutions are hosting these, yeah. uh, these uh, protest groups. I, I would be shocked if they weren't. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's crazy. And, um, you know, they say, oh, yeah, we're going to be in this room number. And uh, to my surprise... Um, um, these are actually there. Most of them are art schools, which I guess you could say there's probably a lot of pissed off unemployed students in those schools. But um, yeah, a lot of them are meeting in art schools. I could specifically name some, but I don't really want to at the moment, just because I'm gonna my I'm gonna attempt to go in their meetings and record some things, do some hardcore Veritas stuff. But um, so and then I started to look up their um. I started to look up people who own like a lot of their registration on their account. I did. I looked up. I looked up legally um, people who own a lot of their registered online promoting stuff, and the, these the polit- these political organizers, I guess you could call them, and you could call them political organizers because on their LinkedIn they quit all their jobs and they're a full time political organizer. But, I don't, but think about how the hell you get paid from that? Probably from some special interests. And these people are being organized from people from New York, from Brooklyn, New York, Manhattan, from High End, San Diego. They're all they're all managing these protesters. And to to what I found out, they 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 were involved in managing the uh, Chicago one. And then I looked up, I got the names, numbers, and emails of these political organizers. And I went on their Twitter, and they showed p- pictures on Twitter of them at the Baltimore riots, showing how bragging, like saying, we got thousands of people to show up, this and that. And so that's my way of fighting back, because you know I want to try to remain, like, remain peaceful and stuff. But um, originally to my question... Um, you know, these, these protesters, there's, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of like, um, like my, my main, my main question I, I, I sent Mike, but it wasn't sp- specific enough. Um, which, which was, um, let me just get my thought back. You know, these, um, this left media and these leftist activists to, to, 
to my perception, I feel like they've been getting a little more hardcore in how they're acting now. I feel like it's becoming a little more extreme because, in my opinion, they're failing, and it seems like the it seems like these the left is going into kamikaze mode on all this activism and media propaganda. It seems like they're going straight kamikaze whether they die or not, and um. And, you know, even in – I think it's getting to the point where they're starting to pr- promote nonviolence. I printed out an article from, um, from uh, I guess you could say, a very not-so-credible not so credible, uh, credible um, media source, Huffington Post, because my original question was, you know, do these people have an, uh, an obligation to be nonviolent with their civil disobedience and whatever? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by an obligation. You mean legally? Yeah, of course, legally. But yeah. I mean, if the laws aren't being enforced, what does it matter? Right. I mean, yeah, legally. I mean, morally, do they have an obligation to be nonviolent? Well, sure. But if they don't recognize that obligation, what does it matter? Right. Okay. Yeah, because then, then um, cause I was thinking about, okay, well, do, should these people be nonviolent? Obviously... I, I fully agree with that, and I wanted to ask your opinion on that, well, too. Now see, okay, so here's here's the thing. Have you ever seen the movie Fury? Yeah. With Brad Pitt's yeah, a tank yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you remember the line, ideals are peaceful, history is violent. Right. Um, for, the, for the vast majority of human history, and, and prehistory, you go back 150,000 years, or however you feel, we shed the ape skin and became more bipedal. For the vast majority of human history, conflicts were resolved with violence. Mm-hmm. Like the, the exception of, of the West, for like the past couple of hundred years maybe, is a tiny, tiny, tiny blip in history. They're the norm. We're the exception. I mean, just this is important to understand. Not, not that we want to lose or cede the high ground or anything like that, but what they're doing, fuck peace. I'm going to kick you. I'm going to hit you, I'm going to spit in your direction. Like, I'm going to intimidate. That's that's the world. That's most of human history. That's most places in the world. And we are a tiny anomaly of people who said, well, maybe we should talk. Maybe we should use our words rather than our fists. Maybe we should have free speech. Maybe we should have a civilization rather than a society red in tooth and claw where the most sociopathic, the most dominant, the most violent the ones with the least conscience are the ones who rule. Maybe we should let the mind rather than the fist and blood run the world. That's the free market too, right? The free market is I get resources through voluntary trade or through providing value either directly in terms of providing goods and services or indirectly by raising someone's kids and running his household or whatever. I'm going to get resources through voluntarism, not through predation, not through theft, not through right stealing. And And so what they're doing, that's Everything, all the time. That's history. That's it. That's what humanity did for almost all of its history, almost everywhere in the world. They, oh, well, there was ancient Greece. Yeah, well, ancient Greece, three quarters of the people were slaves. <laughs> right? The same thing with Rome. So th- what they're doing, that's humanity. You can understand that that is the world. That is it. That's what's been going on. And that's why history was an unbelievable shit fest for almost everyone almost all the time. Because that's what you had to live with. Assholes with fists running the planet. Hey, I think we have a show title. Anyway, 
that is what they're doing. That is the norm. They're not exceptions to the norm. That is the norm. That's how Mexico runs. That's how Venezuela runs. That's how Brazil runs. That's how the world. Now, of course, there's some vestigial free market stuff and there's lots of foreign aid. And so, you know, stuff gets propped up. That's how that's how Africa runs. That's how India runs. Corruption, violence, bloodshed, intimidation, mysticism. Standing and looking with clear eyes at human history is like having your mouth yanked open in a high-blowing shitstorm. It's horrible for, like, anybody with a brain. Anybody with a brain was prey throughout most of human history. I mean, how, the, how well do you think someone like Mark Zuckerberg does in the ninth century, <laughs> right? I mean, not well. The, your brains would be a liability. Now, the harnessing of the human mind that has been the hallmark of the free market of capitalism, of limited government, the harnessing of the human mind rather than the harnessing of the human muscle, that's a tiny blip. And this is why I'm saying it's so precious to guard it. It's so. Pre- I mean, I would not want to live in that world where low-brow, brutal idiots ran the planet. I mean, it's, it, I, why would I want to get out of bed in the morning? Like, forget it. To, to be run ragged by your violent inferiors? I mean, what a god-awful <laughs> situation. I, and I know. I get it. I get that. That's my childhood. I mean, I, I understand. But I know what totalitarianism is all about. And so what they're doing is the norm. What they're doing is, is what people do, what humanity does, what nature does. It's dominance, right? It's the apes. They beat beat each other over the head with rocks. They, you know, the, the stags butted each other with their antlers. I mean, frogs fight each other. I mean, it's it's brutal, and the strongest and the meanest survive. Conscience is a a strange modern luxury that it has only evolved, I think, with with the evolution of, of parenting. But most of human history is exactly what you experienced, and that's how things got resolved. And there was no escape from it. You could not go from one end of the earth to the other and find any place where that was not what was happening all the time, everywhere, permanently. And that's what we need to protect. This tiny little blip, this this switchover, this harnessing of the mind rather than the muscle, this freedom, limited government, this this, this free market, It's so rare. It's almost invisible in the bloody shitstorm of human history. So I just, you know, do they have a right? Of course they're wrong in what they do and it's immoral and so on. But that's how most of the world still operates, you understand, right? I mean, people aren't reasoned into their religious beliefs. They're not reasoned into their loyalties. They're They're brutalized. They're beaten. They're... Um, this is why, you know, when I say you invite the third world into the first world, you don't get the first world anymore. Because this is how these societies operate, and they bring that in. And, I mean, California is lost. California is is gone. I mean, it's functionally seceded from the republic politically because there's no two-party state in there anymore. I think, was it, I can't remember who said it, but might have been Ann Coulter who said that Republicans, like to be a Republican is, is like jury duty. I mean, it's, a, <laughs> it's no, it's no yeah, people don't want it because, you know, 
can't can't win there because I mean California produced some great Republicans. Ronald Reagan, who then betrayed the Republic by giving amnesty to three million immigrants, who then, out of gratitude to being granted amnesty by a Republican, decided to vote Democrat for the rest of their natural born lives and have now grown into ten million and it's gone. I mean, within a generation, it'll be part of Mexico. I mean, I've, I genuinely believe that. I mean, demographics are our destiny. Um, for, for, and again, because this is how human society operates everywhere at all times, except for a tiny blip of 100 or 200 years in the West. I mean, what are you going to say? The end of slavery? 150 years ago? Okay. 150,000 years, 150 years. Hmm. And not even all over the world. Slavery is still being practiced in, in certain parts of Africa, in certain parts of the Middle East. So, no, they're, they're the norm. And uh, history has taken down California. And um, I say, oh, well, let us secede. No. Isn't, I mean, because what's going to happen is California, even if it became its own country, well, it would fall apart within a couple of years, just like Venezuela, just like Puerto Rico, fall apart. And then everyone would come streaming from California into the rest of America. You know, like locusts looking for the next crop. They're not farmers there. Right? They don't grow their crops. They just fly and get the next crop. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the, uh, the lay of the landscape as I see it. What do you think? I think that's an excellent point because... Um, and I and I also agree with I agree with you totally because I was actually going to reference an article that um, justifies the violence that the uh, protesters are committing, and um, uh, when was this? It was posted on the sixth. Okay, so this this um this article it's from Huffington Post and it's it's um yeah <laughs> yeah Dude, I'm I'm ready just you got to warn me yeah, but go I'm ahead sorry I had to say the word but um. Yeah. So it's a great thing you said that because in the post they justify the violence because they say um, they 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 made their own saying called uh, violence resist uh, what's it called oh violence resistance matters this is like the thing they're saying you have to have violence because in history violence is the only answer to change things that's exactly what the that's how they justify, and a lot of the mainstream media is justifying it that way too, but that's how they're justifying a lot of this violence is because they're saying, okay, well, they had to do it for, they, let me see, I can't even see what they mentioned. Um, yeah, so they say violence is necessary because, you know, it was involved with, like, the um, the, the Berlin Wall and, and stuff like that, and then, um, I'm trying to see where they actually quote it. Alright, well, I can't look through this crazy article right now, but, um, yeah, but they, they they view violence as a justified thing. Yeah, right? yeah, they're saying violence is a justified thing. It's like and like you said, you know, you be if you're gonna if you if you if if someone if you don't want anyone if you ever want everyone to have a banana but uh, everyone to have a banana but some other guy has it, obviously if you use force you knock out that monkey, there's no one else to judge whatever you're saying or whatever. And um you know, this there's this one article on Huffington Post and I got a lot of heat too. It's called Sorry, liberals, a violent response to Trump is as logical as any. So they're basically saying that this, the, the violence is the, is the sole logical argument. To um, They're saying it's totally logical. And then um, 
It's funny how they start start the article. They say the rise of Donald Trump has exposed the f- the frightening underbelly of America's phallus tendencies, our racism, nativism. America, sorry, America's what tendencies? Foulest tennis tendencies. Foulest. Okay, got it, got it. Our racism, nativism, xenophobia, misogyny, Islamophobia, albiism, and prosperity toward authoritarianism. Capacity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, it's like it's like you're gonna talk about start talking about violence, and they just throw all these names just constantly. It's like it's. It's almost like, uh, and I listen to some of your other podcasts, and I listen to uh, Stephen Crowder and all those other guys, and you, uh, you guys make some great points. Is that they failed so much that they're trying to attack character now, and it's totally ridiculous how they're, how they're. No, they're not trying to attack. Look, no, they're not trying to attack character. They're just trying to attack white people. Actually, that's another good point because in here, yeah, yeah. I mean, this because uh, this, they never say what well, the the black racism against the Hispanics or the whatever, right? I mean, it's, it's always just white racism against right. blacks and Hispanics. That's that's all it is, right? And ta- right. and talk and talking about the white racism too. Sure, and and that makes perfect sense. Like if you want to exploit someone, and they're stronger than you, then you break down their will, right? Right. Right. I mean, if you're some woman and you've got some big guy and you want to, yeah, then you break down his will. You make him feel bad. You you break his spirit. You you verbally abuse him and you grind him down, so that you own him, right. so that he's dependent upon your approval, so that you can you know make him scared with a scowl or and you you, you yeah. just you hammer him down. It's it's a it's a female way of dominating the big strong manly hairy smelly world out there. Uh, you just use verbal abuse to break people down. And white people have the stuff, well, white men have the stuff that everyone wants, the wealth, the, the productivity, the creativity, the, the societies. White men have the treasure that everybody wants. And so everybody has to verbally abuse white men in order to get the treasure because they can't take it by force, right? So this is, uh, right. it's a, again, from a, an amoral evolution standpoint, more power to them. Right. I, I can completely understand why they do it. And uh, it's maybe the best solution in a highly competitive world to get resources the best solution is to continually verbally attack white males uh, so the white males will you know you hit the guilt button and they just cough up resources and uh, will sell the future of their own children to buy peace for five more minutes from an evolutionary standpoint you can't fault it it's a perfectly legitimate strategy and if you know white men let it happen and continue to let it happen letting it happen and if white men continue to let it happen well they'll just Go the way of the dodo, right? I mean, this is what happens when you fail to defend your resources that your ancestors' hard-won um, labor and blood and, and sacrifice got for you. If you if you fail to maintain these glories, then nature will just you you won't win. You'll just be you'll be washed away. You'll be washed clean of history, and, and it's happened to tons of groups before. Uh, and um, that's the choice that uh, you face. I mean, you, right. you, do you want to avoid um, the verbal abuse of the media? Okay, well then, just give away everything, and and you'll be wiped out of history. That's just how it works. Right. And then um, talk, uh, 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 a little bit related to that point with this violent article. This is how they ended. Um, so. They they talk about violence what Trump does, but then they start to switch it toward the privileged class, and obviously again white males. Yeah, white males, and this is and this is their conclusion to uh, the pro violence uh, article. Last, I want to briefly note the problematic nature of people with privilege condemning violence resistance to Trump as an absolute moral failing or denying its logic. Whether you would personally engage in violent violent conduct matters uh let me repeat that um 
Whether you would personally engage in violent conduct matters little to your ability to understand where it comes from. Some people have the privilege to consider the implications of Trump's rise in the abstract and negotiate, which means are necessary. That's not true for everyone. And, And when those who hold that privilege dismiss the potential validity or logic of violent re- resistance, it's effectively an effort to dictate the rules under which oppressed peoples respond to existential threats. And to silence forms of resistance dis- disagreeable to privileged sensibilities. Don't be that liberal. So this is really interesting to me because it's basically, it's, it's kind of saying that I mean, and, and within the article, it's, it's quite a long article. They talk about uh, the privileged people like supporting fa- uh, fascism and Trump. And they're basically, it, it, to me, it seems like they're trying to get people to, you know, who, who are the privileged people? I guess, you know, white males, right? The white, white America, as the media calls it. It seems like they're trying to... Um, reduce our credibility with all this name calling and, and no, no, look, it's, it's the same thing that, uh, that the Nazis did to the Jews. You just, you promote this relentless sense of privilege and you promote this relentless sense of exploitation and you stoke these endless fires of resentment until you get the inevitable blowback that you want. Right. Actually. Right? Uh, yeah, that's interesting too. And, and actually just recently I had, a an, um, like not, not, it was more of a conversation with someone. Um, but they were one of they were someone that really emotionally freaked out when um, Clinton lost the election, and um, we're from similar backgrounds and Serbia and all those other countries, Yugoslavia. That's um, you know the, you all not a big fan of the Clintons anyway, right? Oh no, oh definitely, definitely not. But there are some parts where they are, and those are the people who um, there's some people that were are, and she and she likes the Clintons, uh, the person I was arguing with, and. Um, they were saying how they fought for socialism and stuff, and how could you say those things when you're all from Yugoslavia and everything? Um, and I and because I was telling them about how capitalism is good, and they were calling all these people that are being hired in the Trump committee like nationalists and stuff like that. And I told them I'm like, or or when they no when they say nationalists they don't call them na- nationalists they say they sp- they always say white nationalists they never say a nationalist it's always white sure. nationalists and and yeah, because and, they're because they're racist right yeah yeah it is technically because i mean you you hear jorge ramos talking about how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is that no one can get to the white house without the latino vote and how amazing it is and they've got la raza which is the race right promoting latina Latino interests or mestizo interest and so on. And that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. It's cultural pride. And, you know, it's the old joke, right? I mean, the and it's not really much of a joke, but it's like, you know, uh, I'm a proud black man, said the black man. I'm a proud Chinese man, said the Chinese man. I'm a proud white man, said the racist, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's just it's bullshit, right? I mean, um, but it's very effective bullshit. So, again, I don't fault them at all for giving it a shot. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, as long as it works, uh, why not keep doing it? It's just up to, and, um, I guess, people to decide whether this is what they want to surrender to. Yeah, and the person I was arguing with about the when she said the uh, these people being hired in the and under the pr- Trump, I guess you could say the Trump administrations are white nationalists. I told them, I told them, uh, nationalism is basically someone who's in the interest of the country. 
And I, I kind of quoted you because you had a really nice quote um, where socialism and Marxism, and it doesn't – socialism, it, whatever words you put next to it doesn't make it more moral or ethical like Democrat socialism, uh, nationalist socialism like Hitler. And um, I, 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 told, I told her, you know, socialism and Marxism – uh, they've all failed in history, and it's we can obviously see that through so many examples. And that's and that that's where she was like, she was like, oh, you're from, you have part of a Muslim country in you. How could you say those things and this and that? You were from so so. But then this is somebody who doesn't know how to have a debate, right? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Like, so she's she's she an idiot. Yeah, she didn't really rebuttal any points I sent to her. So no, she's 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 an idiot, right? I mean, she she's and and you'll notice this, and I I mean. This has occasionally happened, or I guess more than occasionally happened, even in this show, right? Like somebody asks me a question, I give an answer, and they have no idea that I've answered their question. Hey, it might have actually happened in this very show tonight. But, um, yeah, I mean, so why you, – you, you can't debate with people. I mean, they they right. can't debate, right? right. And, and look, if you can't debate, then it's probably because you're not smart. Now, if you're not smart, you're more likely to be criminal. Right, I mean, the sweet spot for criminality is around IQ 85. Lower tends to be not organized enough. Higher tends to be you get more benefits from, um, from not being a criminal, right? From working and, and negotiating and so on. Right. So if you're not smart, and remember, the the dumb genes want to survive just as well as the smart genes do, and they want to spread just as much as the smart genes do. And so if you're not smart, then of course you're going to want to prefer violence over negotiation because you're going to be better at being violent than you are at negotiation, right? I mean, so, of course, we all, you know, Freddie Mercury wants to have a singing contest, right? Mm -hmm. Right? And um, Sting wants to have, um, I'm a, a douchebag at the Bataclan contest, right? And, and so everybody wants their particular skill set to, to win. Nadia, Nadia, Nadia Kamenichi wants a, a gymnastics Contest, right? Everybody wants their particular specialty to be that which decides social questions. I like philosophy. I think it's actually beneficial for more than just me, but um, that's why I that's why I debate and don't do Krav Maga with people because I'm better <laughs> at debating than I am at Krav Maga, right? So, so of course, people who are less intelligent are going to be more prone to violence. And again, it's not a hundred percent, but you know, there's a tendency. And so, of course, people who are less intelligent and with a greater capacity for violence are going on to substitute fists for words. Of course. Of course, because otherwise they're going to lose, right? I mean, this is natural. It's perfectly natural. Um, again, from an amoral resource-gathering standpoint, sure. Sure. Um, and so, to me, that's not, you know, don't get in, engaged in debates with people who you know, won't benefit from them. All, all you're going to do is make them angry. And you can see this happening with people. Like they even may even start out debating. But if you disprove them and disprove, then I've had to have it happen on this show, right? If you disprove and disprove and disprove, eventually you might just hit a blow up point where they start substituting raw naked aggression and, and threats of violence. Oh, and I got, I got actually got that a lot. I got some, ever since this, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff started, I have a, you know, uh, I grew up in, and I grew up in, um, I grew up in the city. I went to a particular school where I was actually uh, a white minority. And in the school, like uh, according to the school demographics, there's probably only like five white people. And I actually lost a lot of And how, how did you enjoy your privilege? 
I was just like everyone else. I, I wouldn't say I much. I really had much of a privilege. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, it's, that's, that's, I don't know, that's funny. It's, it's, I don't know how to respond to that. I, I didn't really see any privilege. I had to work just no, as No, I bet you didn't. I bet you were bullied. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, like when I play a song, if I played like, you know, some Chicago rapper song, like people are like, oh, why are you listening to that? You know, stupid white boy and stuff. I had a gun, I actually had a gun pointed at me in a pizza parlor because I was a, a stupid white boy. You know. Yeah, that's not exactly. Yeah, that's what I meant. I mean, there's no, there's no privilege. I mean. Yeah, and you know, and, and you know. You know, there's an old thing which says, uh, if you ever want to know who's really in charge of you, uh, look at who you're not allowed to criticize. And by that very definition, it sure as hell ain't white males. Right. But here's the thing too, like, and this is what, you know, it's the little sins that lead to the big sins, and it's the implicit evils that lead to the explicit evils, and white society has for a couple of generations, um, significantly since women got the vote, white society for a couple of generations has fully embraced violence as a means of wealth redistribution in society. Fully embraced violence. In fact, still staunchly, most 99 times out of 100 people will staunchly defend the welfare state as a giant virtue. Well, the welfare state is using violence or the threat thereof to redistribute resources in society to take from some people and give to other people in return for their votes uh, for political power. So, I mean, if the West has uh, embraced violence as a means of resource distribution, of moving resources around, how, I mean, on what moral ground will Westerners complain about rioters? I mean, all the rioters are doing is trying to use violence to achieve their political goals, to achieve the redistribution of resources to themselves that they want to achieve. Well, um, how, how, you know, is that fundamentally different from uh, people paralyzing the country by blocking roads or teachers going on strikes? I mean, it's, you know, the, the welfare state is, is the use of violence to achieve political goals. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's hard for me to look at society as a whole when there's a big, giant predatory redistributionist scheme from the young to the old called Social Security and from, the, uh, you know, from some people to others for welfare and some people to others for health care. And you know, it's all violent, predatory, and destructive and immoral. And it's like, oh, but there are protesters who are you know, threatening violence if they don't get what they want. It's like, uh, yeah, who do you think they learned it from? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we, we let that infection come in as a whole uh, generations ago and... Um, it has its consequences, right? And 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 uh, that's why I like to. Uh, that's one of the reasons. Uh, that's one of the reasons I like to advocate and you know, put put a little bit of a different opinion around them because, um, you know, when when these people saw me, it, honestly, I don't even think they even met a protest uh, or not a Trump protester, but a Trump supporter in their life. Like they didn't. They just looked so alienated when they saw me. Like, oh, where the hell did this guy come from? You know, because people are so. But why? Why are you there? Uh, I was there to have a peaceful transition sign because I know that when. Why? Why? Uh, because I knew that people were probably gonna. I you know I I wanted to make a statement that. No as, no 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 no. There's something else. Huh? What what what's going on? Like okay, tell me tell me, were you aggressed against as a child by chance? Uh yeah to to some extent. Um, how? Uh, like from a, well, uh, you know, my, my, in, in my history, you know, parent, uh, I had, I came from a divorced family. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, there was, there were some 
uh, raising issues. I wouldn't say it was physically violent, but definitely there were some, there were some, uh, you know, there was, there was some moment. Aggression. Yeah, there were some, there was some aggression that I would say would, uh, there, there, I I guess you could say your peaceful parenting, uh, uh, philosophy wasn't as, as strong in my reasoning. And what would, uh, what was the language that you were faced with when you were a child? Um, there, there was some verbal abuse, I would say. And what would you hear? Some manipulation. Oh, like, you know, all the cussing words, aggression, threatening of, uh, threatening, threatening to do certain things and stuff like that. And that's a lot of what you're facing in these riots, right? Uh, I guess you could say, I, I'm not, and I'm not threatened by it either, but, um, yeah, that, that, that is what I face. Well, you should be. I mean, you've been lucky so far. Some of the people who are there aren't as lucky. Yes, yes. So what, do you, what do you mean by lucky? Well, that could have gone worse for you, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, like uh, like if that bottle did land on my head that they threw? Are you saying? Yeah. Like, like I mean, in school, like a guy, oh, you said a guy pulled a gun on you at a pizza parlor, parlor and so on. And you, you're, you're actively seeking out situations where you you're going to be verbally abused at least right and you if you come from a verbal abuse history um i won't get into the whole theory here but i would suggest uh, reading my free book mm-hmm. real-time relationships the logic of love it's at freedomainradio.com slash free you got uh, you got a pdf you got an audio book you got like you can take take your your pick uh, and in it there's an analogy uh, i use called simon the boxer which right. we are drawn to childhood situations we are drawn to attempting to master childhood situations, which is one of the reasons why people put themselves back in situations that remind them of what happened to them as children, especially unpleasant ones that are unprocessed. That's, it's possible. Yeah, that's, it's possible that you may be returning to your childhood in these kinds of situations. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is, is, that, is it fair to say that subconsciously? Oh, yeah. 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 It is, it is subconscious. So when you were a kid, you, you didn't have mastery in your environment, you, you didn't have control in your environment. And so you could only control your reactions to your environment, but then you get a sense of efficacy by controlling your reactions to verbal abuse. And that gives mm-hmm. you a sense of power, sense of control. Mm-hmm. And so if you feel out of control in your life, you may be drawn to situations of verbal abuse so you can re-experience that sense of control and mastery and efficacy. Uh, and of course, it's not healthy. It was necessary and healthy as a child, mm-hmm. not so as an adult. And so, I, you know, just look into your own motivations and try and figure out what is drawing you there. Because it's not because you think people are going to be rational. You've seen the riots. Right. You know the thinking, right? And um, there may be better ways for you to spend your energies and your um, admirable moral convictions and clarity mm-hmm. uh, rather than putting yourself in situations where you're putting yourself in danger to not change anyone's mind. It doesn't seem like there are any minds there to change at all. Right. Yeah, because I've I've been I've been coming to the conclusion too. Like uh, some of these people, actually, uh, one of the guys that were there, uh, which I forgot to mention, um, I, I I guess you guess I I think I think that's a great point. And I actually listened to your podcast on peaceful parenting and how people are attracted to um, like things of their past. Like women will go with a douchebag because they were abused with. Uh, than their parents and they're attract they're looking for that as in a relationship or something like that. And I think I think that's a great point. I think I should reflect on myself on that too. Um Yeah, we just we need you. And uh 
you know, the future needs you. And uh, I don't think it's a great use of your energies putting yourself in these kinds of situations. Right. I mean, maybe if you're recording and uh, maybe, uh, you know, if there was some larger purpose, but uh, you're not. And uh, I think that there's better uses for the admirable mind that you have than putting itself in the path of these uh, idiotic fists. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, it's a, um, that's a great point and advice. And um, something I, uh, I was going to say uh, previously, which I forgot to mention when I was talking about the attempts they, they had on me. Um, one of the guys, when he was chasing me, and he wasn't going to get me either. This guy was just... Uh, as I as, as I said, no, I have a I'm pretty athletic, and this guy just burnt out. And he looked at me, and this is where this was actually kind of enlightening. I haven't went back to a a protest since he'd done this because uh, I, I I saw him. I looked at him eye to eye, and he he looked at me, and he he I don't know if you ever seen a really um like a really mentally unstable person or or someone who is high on drugs or something like they had that really glassy eye and their eyes are mm-hmm. just open and dilated. He looked at me like that and I stood there. It was like complete, it was like total connection. He said, you hit me. Like he said, what it's so he said, you hit me. And I was just like, what the, I was just like, what the fuck? These people, this is psychotic. And from that point, the, from that point, I was kind of like questioning myself too, of whether, whether I should be there. Like you're saying, like um, yeah. some of these people, you can't change them. Just like you know, if you're ever in in a, in a street situation as well, um, if if there's if you you could you, you could there's there's ways you could sense violence and stuff. And there's some people that you know they're looking to do something stupid and they're going to do it no matter what. And um, I guess you're kind of right. You know, I'm putting myself in a bad position, and I would say my life is definitely worth more than that. Um, you know. Yeah, no, nobody's there. Nobody there is is interested in reason or evidence or change. They're just amoral resource grabbers. Yeah. So. All right. So listen, I'm going to move on to the next caller, but I strongly suggest that that um, you know whether it's a therapist or whether you just work on things, just if you've had that history of verbal abuse and you're putting yourself in situations of verbal abuse, that's a pattern there. You really want to check and make sure that that you're doing things for the right reasons. And uh, I don't want anything to happen to that lovely brain of yours. So that's my my suggestion. Again, check out my free book, um, uh, Real Time Relationships at freedomainradio.com slash free. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely will. And um, thanks for having me on the show and giving this platform to talk. And uh, my pleasure. And for all your listeners out there, um, go to freedomainradio.com slash donate. Um, Stefan's doing a great thing for, I would say, the entire world, and he's helping us all out, and he gives us platform for us to express our opinions, uh, for the whole world to organize our thoughts, and um, appreciate the time, Stefan. Well, thank you very much. Very, uh, very kindly said. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. All right. Up next, we have Bob. Bob wrote in and said, I see a cultural slash race war on the horizon that has been brewing for at least a decade. On one side, there used to be blacks, but now it includes blacks, Latinos, Muslims, women, gays, and the other side includes da 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 white men. How do I survive as a black man as a, I default to one category, but align myself intellectually and politically with the other? That's from Bob. Hmm. Well, Bob, let me just start off by saying uh, I don't mean to tell you your business as a black man, but you're completely wrong because Obama is the great healer uh, of of fracture 
uh, between the races. So you've just <laughs> you've been misinformed, and uh, I'm afraid you're just you're completely wrong. And and as, <laughs> I, as a white man, feel perfectly comfortable telling you this because uh, privilege. Anyway, I just wanted to clear that up at the front. <laughs> so um, tell me what uh, what do you see brewing on the horizon there? So let me try to explain this really clearly. Um, for all of my life, at least, uh, not all of it, maybe. I don't know about the uh, early parts are very fuzzy. Black people have been using, <laughs> oh my goodness, I hope my family doesn't hear this. Black people have been using racism as a tool. Um, you're probably aware of Jesse Jackson and how what he does. Which is, yes. which is basically extortion. Hey, you don't have enough black people here. We're going to boycott you until you give me some money. Yeah. How would you like to be called a racist in national newspapers? <laughs> yes, exactly. You and feel like buying some diversity courses, it, maybe? And he actually, I learned that he actually tried to get it federally mandated to get his diversity courses. But sure. anyway, anyway, I, I don't want to Because he's all about the free market. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So... So anyway, and and cries of race for for anything. Oh, you won't rent this apartment to me. Oh, it's it's because you're racist. Like no, it's because your credit score is like you know a hundred. You know, oh, was the uh, the black guy and uh, was it Starbucks recently was like screaming at the people because they thought his coffee was slow because he was black or something. <laughs> well, no, I I God forbid they didn't put cream in it. Here's your black <laughs> coffee. I asked for cream. You know, <laughs> God help you, right? And so. Until I was about in my 20s, I've always, okay, let me, let me rush through this. I've always been relatively socially conservative because. Wait, black, wait, what do you mean by that? Black people, black people are Christian. Black people have a history of being, being conservative. And I was raised by well, my grandmother. Pardon? Except for the whole single mom thing, right? Well, well, so so that's actually... It seems to have slipped a little there, if you don't mind. No, no, that's so. that's absolutely true. So, but I was raised by my, my grandmother. If she was alive now, she died last year. Uh, if she was alive, she'd be 90-something. So, you know, none of her siblings were single mothers. They just didn't do that. Right. It's the welfare state thing, which we've talked about in the show before, right? Yeah, so, so fortunately, I was raised by her, and... You know, it was all about self-determination and things like that. I mean, there was a library of encyclopedias, and we were not rich by any means. And I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but but and she she was she was around before the welfare state. So she, of course, in her childhood, it was like you know, work hard, get ahead, be be conservative, be you know, be married, be you know, dignified, be you know, whatever it is, right? Be educated. Like this is all prior to the welfare state, and this is what a lot of both black and white thinkers have really lamented that the welfare state did what slavery couldn't do, which is completely destroy the black family. But anyway, go ahead. Okay. So because I was raised by my grandmother, I had some socially conservative ideas, and I was all about self-determination. And I was right. basically smarter than everyone all the time. So, you know, I never thought of myself <laughs> as less than... Oh, I, I was very lucky She, she to... gave you some confidence. I like, I like to hear that. <laughs> well, no, I... No, I, I you I, could well be right. So go ahead. I, I used to brag about it, but I realized I'm just lucky. I was born with a 150 plus IQ and, 
you know, right. everything was easy to learn through my life. And I, you know, ran laps around everyone. So because and, and this, I'm sorry to interrupt again, and I'll shut up in just a second. I'm sorry for I'm, maybe I'm white splaining. I don't know. But but this is, you know, when we talk about sort of the race and IQ stuff, right? I mean, a lot of people think, oh, that means X, Y and Z. But 20 percent of blacks are smarter than the average white. And you're obviously very smart yourself. So you can never judge individuals. Right. I mean, if you zoom back the lens large enough, it may help you to some degree with aggregates, but no individual can be judged by genetics. I just really wanted to reinforce that because some people get a little confused uh, about this topic. And now I will put my agenda in my back pocket. Shut the hell up and let you get on with it. Oh, no, no, please uh, don't 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 uh, don't hesitate to interrupt me again. I'd love to have this more back and forth uh, scenario. OK, so <laughs> you, you took cat out of the bag. There, <laughs> okay. So. So anyway. Um, as an aside, I, 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 I almost preached this idea that, yes, IQs are not the same across the board. It, it just isn't logically possible that different humans are developed in different parts of the world and develop to the exact same level. That doesn't seem, you know, that, that, that's completely beyond logic. And so what I say is that blacks need to supplement culture in those situations. If, if blacks had the culture of the Chinese, I mean, the crime would be, I don't, I don't even know, or orders of magnitude lower. Right. So, so anyway. and, and, and sorry for those who say, since you, you, you fool you and you invited me to interrupt you. Okay. But, but so, so since, um, uh, I see people, well, well, you know, if the IQ is lower, you can't have that culture. And I say bullshit because blacks used to have stronger marriages than whites and, and a very stable, uh, family structure and, and a very stable commitment to education and so on. So yeah, the culture is, you know, is what needs to backfill any deficiencies in any other place, right? Like, you know, in the same way that, you know, if, if you're born scrawny, you can start working out. I mean, Schwarzenegger was born scrawny and he worked out like crazy. So you can make choices. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's the idea of, you know, if I'm not born tall, then I just get on a chair to grab something on the top shelf. It's just that simple. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, I've uh, been socially conservative, but I was, I lived in Chicago. <laughs> so I was wrapped up in the ideas of, I don't like that they call it liberalism, but collectivism, I would rather say. And uh, didn't Chicago is the place where they just said, you know, they're never going to stop being a sanctuary city that the illegal immigrants are always welcome in Chicago. And the funny thing I thought was that they, they said, and you're always safe in Chicago. It's like, <laughs> safe in Chicago? Are you kidding me? I mean, are they ducking for cover as the bullets fly through the air as they're saying just how wonderfully safe all the immigrants are gonna, illegal immigrants are going to be in Chicago? Yeah, My that's, God. That's actually kind of a sick joke. So I just recently moved to Texas, but not before converting to like extreme conservatism. I voted for Obama and I am sad to say twice. And, um, you know, I, I gave him a pass. But but the cabinet, I don't know how much white people watch this, but his cabinet is whiter than any that has been in, in decades. Um, Donald Trump's looks to be blacker already. And he doesn't, he doesn't even have the whole roster out yet. <laughs> well, he probably hasn't read that he's a racist. Now, as soon as he reads that, and, and is aware of that, then it will probably change. But, you know, he hasn't read that. He didn't get the memo. So uh, he's obviously making mistakes as he goes forward. <laughs> so so anyway, um, now, now let's get to something serious. So let's get yeah. back to the initial point. The initial point is that blacks have used racism as a tool, um, racism as a tool from 
from the 80s, probably with Donald Trump's first um, housing discrimination thing, all the way to Trayvon Martin, who was shot beating a man to death. Oh, I, I think it might have gone on just a little bit past Trayvon Martin, but I know it's like up to now, right? But why, why the 80s? Why in particular the 80s? Well, no, as far as I can tell. So, oh, okay. so, I'm, so I, I, don't, I don't have enough good knowledge to know, and I, and I don't, don't want to presume what I don't know uh, before right. that. And all of the older relatives, all of them, are absolutely convinced that it did exist then, it did exist through the 80s, through the 90s, and Trayvon Martin is a victim of racism by a right. trans white guy, um, George Zimmerman. So what, what white guy, trans white guy, trans white, because, well, what the hell is that? That's um. so he had to be white to fit the narrative. So, oh, man, when they heard Zimmerman, they were just like, oh, <laughs> so they had to they had to make him white. So he wasn't really trans white by his own choice, kind of trans white by society's choice. They said, wait, we have but, to. But, but what does trans white mean, though? Oh, no. It means white because I want it? Or what does that mean? Well, well, okay. So I'm I'm in just some people have done this trans ethnicity thing recently. And in jest, I call him trans white, not by his accord, but by the, the mainstream media's accord and everyone else, societal accord. They just say, you know what? You're white. You have to be white so this can be racism from white people. So that's why I jokingly call him trans white. Oh, okay. So let me just sort of translate this into my head. So if I go to Thailand and I, I have sex with someone I think is a woman and it turns out she's packing and then I just convinced myself later it had to be a real, it wasn't a lady boy. It was like a real woman. I just like, it has to be a woman because that's just not part of my narrative. So that she's like, that would be the case, right? <laughs> actually, actually very much like that. However, okay. it would, okay. it's, but that's you choosing it. George Zimmerman never even chose that. <laughs> he never chose to be ca called a white man. The society just said, no, you just have to be that. And everyone accepted it. Right. But anyway, we're, we're getting a little in the weeds there. No, no, it's just because I didn't know what the term meant, and I, I don't, you know. Uh, oh, I don't it's not, it's not <laughs> I don't a, it's know not what the hell the term meant, so go it, ahead. It, it's kind of a joke. It's not a real term. It kind of is with this Rachel Dolezal situation, but... Oh, don't even get me started. Sean White? <laughs> Seriously? But, um, anyway, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so throughout all of this, and then for some reason... Latinos said, hey, wait a second, we can do the same thing. Right. <laughs> so then they said, you're racist, white people, because you want to keep this country safe for yourself. And then right. who else jumped in? And then the Muslims jumped in and said, ah, you're racist because you get angry when we slaughter you. <laughs> well, well here's then, the thing, right? So at, at least black is a race. Yes, you know, Mexico, yes. not a race. Muslim, not a race. It's like, I I don't even know what to say. You know, it, it, it doesn't even fit the category. And and legitimate grievances in history from Americans to blacks, legitimate. Anyway, go on. Okay, so so I'm trying to rush through this. I'm, I'm giving myself two more minutes to give this all set up to the actual question. Take your time. Take your time. Okay. I, I, peed before, I peed before the show. We, we can take our time. Okay, excellent. So as an aside... A, uh, I saw a black man. Everyone was talking about Trump. I'm in Houston, which is pretty blue, even though it's in Texas. 
um, in, in the inner Houston. So I was at the health club and there were guys playing basketball and they were all talking about Donald Trump and this guy, he kept talking, yeah, he's a racist and this, he was a black guy talking to a white guy and the white guy was going, yeah, yeah, no, man, it's just wrong. It's wrong, man. And then I told the black guy, I said, hey, you, you know, you look like you make some money. You're going to get some money back on your taxes. Aren't you happy about that? And he said to me, he said, um, it's not even about trap? that. I don't even want the money. I said, well, you know what? You, you can give it to me <laughs> if, you, if you really don't want it. <laughs> and then he said, no, it's um, he said, what, you voted for Trump? And I said, sure. And he said, what, just for the taxes? That's crazy. I said, well. I don't really want to list it all, but, you know, I can start by saying he wants to stop illegal immigration. He wants to get rid of the terrorists who are here actually murdering people. Uh, And then the black guy looked at me with a confused face and said the words, you're a racist. (laughs) And and I laughed. Okay, wait, wait. Hang on. I'm just having like interdimensional social justice warrior brain collision time. Because I'm trying to, like, how many intersections of what the hell is going on occurred in that statement? Okay, you're a racist. Okay. And so, Go on. Did, did, he, did he unpack that? Did he, what do you mean? No, no, he, he didn't really. And then I said, well, that's interesting because illegal immigrants aren't a race. And Muslim are <laughs> a race of people. It's interesting. You know, there are there are illegal immigrants from Eastern Europe. There are illegal immigrants from Sweden. There are illegal immigrants from Russia. I mean, it's they're all white. Yes, ab- absolutely. I know very well in Chicago, there are a lot from Russia, a lot from Poland, mm. a lot, an extraordinary amount from Poland, actually. But anyway. I mean, they're, they're running the kind of social security scams that Native Americans like Jesus won't do. Anyway, go on. <laughs> so anyway, so now I'm going to, I'm, I'm starting to arrive at the question. I see, I've watched probably all of your last 10 videos, and I see, you're, you're right, you're right. The, the, the idea, the best Maybe one of the best closings I've seen was when you first meet someone, you'd give them the benefit of the doubt, you treat them well, yeah. you treat them with respect, but then you treat them exactly like they treat you. Yeah. And basically, the idea is this, and I'm writing a book called Drunk with Power, and it's, it's about the left. They're so drunk with power that the moment that it hasn't even been taken away yet, the moment it is threatened, they've lost their minds. <laughs> mm. They're burning down cities all over the country. So anyway, they are they are starting a race war. And honestly, I see, I see, I know that whites are gearing up because one of the groups in the race war on my de facto side, on the non-white man side, are people who are actively killing people, a.k.a. Arab Muslims, uh, radical Muslims, if you want to be really politically correct about it. So anyway, I feel I am de facto in the side that I don't want to be in. So how right, like you, like you, you're in the German uniform, but you're not a German. It's like, oh no, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be yeah. in this side. This side sucks. This side <laughs> is about stealing from other people. This side is about about using words and changing them like justice to social justice. And or, or racism to anyone who disagrees with me is a racist, exactly. and it doesn't matter what the hell kind of category they're talking about, right? Exactly. And, and um, right. one of the best ways someone said it, and I, I hope you like this, is I told this white guy who, um, who's at the health club, and he's one of the minority there by far, 
And I said, hey, ah, you did see that Wanda Sykes got booed off stage, right? Yeah. Okay. So Wanda Sykes, a pretty unfunny comedian, um, went through the whole... Well, okay, she is unfunny, but she also has a really unpleasant voice, so it doesn't balance out. So. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, certainly. Good God. It's nasal as hell, right? I mean, yes. I just I want to give her a Kleenex or, or some like some pipe cleaners to go in there and just... I don't know. Anyway, go on. So she got booed off the stage, and there are other things like this, especially people like Milo Yiannopoulos, Jesus, who... Um, who are indicative to me that the race card has hit its credit limit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it, I don't think it really has yet, but it's getting close. And I said that to a guy. I said, hey, did you see that Wanda Sykes thing? Maybe the race card is, you know, hitting the credit limit. And he said, yeah, well, it's time for some overdraft fees. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now, was this a black guy who was no, saying this? No, this is a white guy. <laughs> a white guy. All right, all right. And Excellent. he's not wrong, though. You know, oh and, come on! What do you think? What do you think they're going to th- say about what Kanye was just up to today? I don't know if you were following any of this. Pardon? Ka- Kanye was saying uh, he's voting. He would have voted Trump. Well, it's very. I, I I don't listen to rap at all. I actually hate it. But it's very difficult to try to decipher anything Kanye West says. I, I've I've tried. I've stopped that a long time ago. I just love it. He says, if he if he would have voted, he would have voted for Trump. It's like, okay. <laughs> if so he it voted, doesn't he matter then what you say, does it? Because he didn't even vote at all. So Yeah, he's um, he's almost a 40-year-old man. Why is he not? Uh, well, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's what I see on the horizon. I see the white males fighting, literally fighting, violent fighting the rest of the country, the demographics that are changing and trying to push them out. And it scares me. So, what do you think of? Well, listen, I, I think I, I think that I, I I can't speak for white men. I'm I'm just trying to read the zeitgeist, and this is not lifting the load on my personal beliefs, but reading the zeitgeist, Bob, I do think that um, white men are kind of getting hip to the idea that the nice thing is not paying off. Like the nice, the conciliatory, let's 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 try and mend fences, let's try and give more resources, like we'll pay more taxes. I know people are going to take more taxes from me, but they're going to use it to fix up their neighborhoods, and they're going to thank me, and it's going to work out, and we're going to vote for Obama. And, and I think people like the, the, the white men in particular, they're really, really picking up on the fact that it's really not working. And it's, it's doing the opposite of working. It's, it's not kindness now. It's appeasement that's being exploited. Yeah, I don't know if you've have you ever been in a relationship where the person says, "Well, you got to be nicer to me," and you're nicer to them, and they just start taking advantage, and you just end up feeling kind of exploited and resentful. Absolutely, yes. All right, good, good. It's good to know that 150 IQ doesn't <laughs> keep you proof from that. <laughs> so I think that's where, like this, I think I think white males in general are, are are sort of getting getting hip to the idea that. This appeasement stuff, this like, you know, okay, let's pay more in taxes. Let's give more money to these neighborhoods. Let's, you know, uh, up the funding for the schools. Let's vote for Obama. And it's like, this is not getting better. This is, and I think that there's a real frustration and, and anger that's going to come out at some point when, when the goodwill bank thing runs, runs dry. And then I think, um, yeah, things are not going to go well. How do you think it's going to shake out if you sort of had to, what dominoes are going to, go down that that might lead this way well the first thing that i think will happen is that well there are two things that i think that will happen i don't know which will happen first 
But I think the protesters are going to get something like something really bad is going to happen to them. Like, um, wait, like, like Jeff Sessions becoming the attorney general. <laughs> well, uh, so that's one. That, so, right? so that's one. Wait, so can we, can we get Loretta back? She was, she was pretty cool with <laughs> yeah, this stuff. Yeah. So we miss her. So one thing that I think will happen, I think it will either, either happen where a civilian will say, or a group of civilians will just say, no, no more of this. And it will end in a deadly conflict. And right. then, the group will get even worse and then it will just escalate from there. Actually, no, that's it. It doesn't matter if it's a cop or a civilian, but I really think that's exactly how it will uh, play out. So like you keep poking the bear saying the bear is really mean. The bear is really, and then the bear takes his way. I knew, I knew the bear was mean. And then you escalate from there, right? That's exactly, that's exactly how I've said it. I've said it, you know, white people are going to say, I I should have said polar bear. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I, 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 I've actually said it almost exactly like this: that white people are going to say, "Okay, okay, fine. You want this war? Fine, fine, fine. It's on." And you so, know, I, I hate to tell you, Bob, and, and and you know, you you know your history. White people are terrifyingly good at war. Yes. Oh, yes. You know, like seriously, we we seem real nice for a long time. And then we're not. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and then we're not. It's really not. And boy, it would be great to never get. But there's a reason why white people ended up running most of the planet, you know, for a while. Because we're really, really good at war. Like we're re- and we're really good at killing each other. Like the white people are really great at killing each other. And I can understand why the rest of the races got kind of anxious after two world wars when white people got all these nuclear weapons. It's like, yeah, I can understand. I, I get it. We're, we're, we can be a terrifying group of people. But don't, you know, but, but, oh my God, we are really, really, you know, and I, I don't think it's all, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, the, all the, the warlike white people were killed off in the world wars, you know, I'm sorry. I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I, you know, and, uh, you know, I appreciate these kinds of conversations because, you know, really that's the last place we ever want to go to as a society. But, uh, uh, there are certain things that can make it, uh, make it, uh, get closer. Well, if, if history is any indicator and it's, the only laboratory we have, right? Um, mm. It's that's any indicator. Then certainly, uh, this is how it will end. And the rule. And I've, I've recently been reading about the rules of engagement with the Vikings. And good God, <laughs> is this is this really the bear we want to poke? <laughs> right. So, so I also funny. think that if uh, you know, as as government starts to run out of money. Um, I, th- I think that poorer communities, of which, of course, there's more black and Hispanic and so on. Uh, but uh, I think the poorer communities who've, who've really adapted to that steady flow of government money. Um, and this is true for uh, illegal immigrants or immigrant communities and so on. But the poorer communities who have now, what has it been like, two or three generations that, um, that uh, communities have adapted to this welfare money it's going to be, uh, I think, a real shock. And I, you know, that to me is one of the likely sort of powder keg scenarios that the government starts running out of money. And, um, you know, of course, they'll steal from Social Security because old people don't really riot that much. <laughs> but, uh, well, if they do, it's slow. Yeah. You know, you've got lots of warning because, you know, you can hear the squeak of the little wheels and all that, right? So, um, but uh, I, I think that there's going to be a deep shock, like, the money is the money's going to run out. You know, as you know, mathematically, that which cannot continue will not continue. At some point, you just you're out of money. I mean, look at Venezuela; it happens. Like the like the rich guy. If somebody said, "How did you become bankrupt?" He said, "Well, 
very slowly and then all at once. <laughs> you know, you, you, so, you know, like so, you stave it off, you stave it off. I got another credit card. I got some moving money here. I get a little money there, and then boom, you're done. So, so and also another shock. another component is this, and I surely hope my mother isn't listening. Um, another component is that if Donald Trump turns black employment to ninety five percent black, people will still hate him. I, I am thoroughly convinced of <laughs> some, maybe more. <laughs> I am I am thoroughly convinced of this from all of the conversations I've ever heard. That the only thing, the only thing that I really think, I, I honestly think, and I've definitely heard conversations that sound like this that you are not probably usually privy to, is the only thing that would satisfy the average black person, or at least the non Ben Carson. David Clark kind of black person, obviously, would be 30 acres and a mule. And not 30 acres in Idaho, 30 acres in downtown Manhattan with the properties (laughs) built on it. I'm I'm really serious. I've actually heard these words literally come out of people's mouths. And so, so anyway, so anyway, um, so I'd like to say two more things that I think. Well, hang on a sec, just before we move on from there, um, if I mean, of course, like it's everyone's hope and, and goal that that uh, poorer communities do better, right? And and that there's more employment opportunities. But what you're saying is that if there is a revival of jobs that blacks can can more easily get into, you know, after a couple of generations of somewhat slow social decay on the welfare state and so on, which is not just blacks, but you know, everybody who touches the welfare state full turns into like a state sucking zombie of, of Absolutely. every sort of Absolutely, Native yeah, Americans right? even more. Oh yeah, no man. Oh no, don't don't even get me started on the horror that's gone on with. Hey, a little more government should help those people out. No problem. <laughs> but um, so yeah, if there is employment, I sort of I wonder if it's such a no-win situation. It's like, well, you know, welfare is just keeping us down, but jobs. Well, now we're just being exploited, and it's like, okay, what do we do? <laughs> you know? No, that's that's exactly my that's exactly my perspective, and um. Oh, now I got to go work for the man. Well, so so I think so I think the illegal immigration is it two pronged, absolutely hurting black people. I think one by taking all the low skilled jobs, thereby keeping all the sixteen to twenty four year olds out of the even starting the workforce. Right. And two, they're taking advantage of the Fourteenth Amendment that was clearly intended for slaves. Right. And so these two and people just don't get it. And I try to explain to people that, you know, we built this country. Yes, we were slaves, <laughs> but we built this country and our families, their graves are here. This is our country. This is not a country to give to foreign invaders. And, and so I, I try to explain that to them and they say, well, they are, their people were here. And I say, you know what, we'll, we'll send the grass back to them. We'll send the rocks and the dirt. Sure, if that's really what they want, we don't need that. But they want to come here for what we've built. They don't. They don't come here for social security because their ancient ancestors started social <laughs> right. security. Well, you know, their ancient ancestors were also pushed out of lands to the south. You don't see a lot of them heading to Venezuela. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I try to explain that, but then you have to actually explain history to people, and that gets really difficult. But. Anyways, back to the initial instance, what let's say that it is that situation. Let's actually fast forward to this thing that I see coming in 
three years. There's some powder keg thing, and let's just say, you know, the, the sort of post-Rodney King L.A. situation spreads, right? Yes, yes, very, very, very accurate. What is right. a person like who has the mentality of a Thomas Sowell or, yeah. uh, or a Ben Carson really supposed to do in that scenario? Well, I, I can give you my advice if, if you think it would help. Um, my advice would be, uh, be, be, be known and be prominent, uh, where you stand. Right. I mean, the, the, I don't care how racist some jerky people are, but, but then nobody's going to Tom Sowell's house and yanking him out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because he's he's a you know, he's a great intellectual and and he's always to my mind. Well, I've ripped him a few times, but for the most part, he's had a very staunch dedication to truth in in very politically sensitive areas where you know let's be honest, uh, maybe only Tom Sowell or someone like him could go. So you know if you if you're out there and you're prominent and you know speaking reason to to both sides, um, I I think that that people will know and and I don't think that you you will get caught up and of course you know stay home and shit like that right but I mean if you're out there and prominent um you you'll take some hits now but it might be uh, a whole lot better later right yeah I. I guess that's really the only uh okay that oh, as, wait I'm just basking in your enthusiasm <laughs> for that solution do do you have a plan B Steph that you might be able to suggest to me because no I I it, it it is actually it is actually a little worrisome to me I mean it's truly okay worrisome. but what happens so what happens sorry to interrupt but, but so what happens Bob like you you as a black man you say I've got really important things that I want to say to society and it's obviously not just about the black white thing you're a smart guy you, you surmount race or whatever right but there is stuff that is about race and all that which you know is an important topic in society so you've got stuff that you want to say and let's let's just say that you go out into the world, you know, Tommy Sotomayor level honesty, right? I mean, that guy says stuff. That <laughs> oh my goodness. My, it, it, it makes my eyeballs blister, some of the stuff that guy says. But, you know, I grit my teeth because I'm just into exploring ideas and perspectives. And, and that guy's got some fantastic and really interesting stuff to say. Um, but if you went like full tilt boogie, what, what, what you want to say, uh, uncensored, unfiltered, right out there, um, what do you think would happen? What's the scenario in your mind about how that might play out? For you? <laughs> Okay, that's an interesting question. And I, I had a conversation with a liberal today, and I was talking about going to a family reunion. And I wanted to buy a Make America Great Again hat, just so people knew where I stood, so they wouldn't come and start talking to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> or they would, but the conversations would be a little different. Yes, yeah, so like, just, just stay away from me. Yes, I'm voting for Trump. This is, you know, and um, I, I have to go there in about a week. But anyway, and and she said, well, just don't talk about it. And I said, you, you don't know what it's like to be a conservative. You know, we, we call you misguided, um, you know, not, not really seeking the truth or, you know, not yet. You call us evil. <laughs> you call right. us racist. You call us bigots. I mean, you call us things that are actually <laughs> illegal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, we have I, criticisms. You have like slander from the mouth of Satan himself, right? Exactly. I, so, what right. I think could happen, and I'm trying to build some companies up. I think could happen is what, and I, I shouldn't compare myself to him because he's a billionaire. But what happened to Donald Sterling? Donald Sterling was absolutely decimated by the society for calling black guys 
black guys. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He was the basketball owner. Yeah, we did a show on him. The uh, Clippers. Back in the day. He, he owned. He owned the L.A. Clippers until the the mob. His girlfriend. His girlfriend recorded him on some rant, right? Yes. Recorded. Record, he. She recorded him saying, "Why are you hanging out with all these black guys at the stadium and taking them into the owner's box?" And the right. entire from from the opening of Saturday Night Live to all of the players revolting to the owners kicking him out of the owners. And I was thinking, is this really, is this, is this what we do? We economically destroy people because we don't like their perspective. And that's, right. that is, that is the fear that I have if I do a Tommy Sotomayor. And Tommy Sotomayor has probably had more than his fair share of death threats. You think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh, he he lives an exciting life. Uh, let's put it that way. I mean, uh, I live a somewhat exciting life. That guy lives a really exciting life. So anyway, that's so. that's that's uh, that's the issue of the day. Obviously, I have a lot of more things that I I might be able to talk say, but that is the issue of the moment, and I think that's a very important issue, honestly. Right? Do you now. do you think do you th- I mean do you think you could do something to stop it? That that's that's the big question, right? Because, it, you know, if, if you could do something to stop it, then the negative consequences that may accrue to you might be worth it. Because it's such a heroic thing to do, right? I mean, I'm obviously hoping against hope and, and working as hard as I can. And I think achieving some success in trying to avert some of the disasters in the world. And so, yeah, I take some heat uh, and all of that. But the, the cause is so noble. And, and the opportunity for a positive effect is so significant that it's worth it for me. And so do, do you think, I mean, is, you know, you've got, a, you've got a great sense of humor, you've got a great style, you're very intelligent, and, you know, you're black, which does not exactly hurt when it comes to talking about race in actually, America. Actually, so there's a guy named Alfonso Rachel who says it like this. He says, you know, they just call you racist. Uncle Tom, Sambo, Coon. Right, I think that um, I think that the pressure against black people who speak against the narrative is sometimes overwhelming. I mean, before the whole rape situation, Bill Cosby went from basically the greatest to top fifth greatest black man, maybe of all time, to the worst black man of all time or to an awful time. Yeah. Do do you think that there may be something behind the, I've heard this argument that it's because, you know, after what the put top speech or whatever the hell he did, like some pound cake, the pound cake speech that after he, I don't know, mouthed some conservative stuff about the black community that in a sense, the sort of media protection was lifted uh, and uh, all of this multi-decade suspicion was uh, that it wasn't so much Plasco Burroughs as it was, the fact that he seemed to be turning more conservative and that that was considered a threat to the left. So they unleashed uh, all of this stuff on him. So, so while I have no empirical evidence that that's true, I certainly think that is the case. Mm. I, I, I certainly think that, um, that, and if you look at the only things that, that, that are actually provable, yeah, they're a little silly. They're a little shitty, but you know, just like Donald Trump's comments on the bus, it's like, you know, Big freaking deal. Like, what did what did he? I think the only things that were that were 
in, that were actually proven or agreed or, or capitulated were that he procured some drugs to use while having sex with a woman. That's it. And so that's the only that's the stuff that's not like he said, she said stuff, right? Yes. Yes. That's what he agreed to. Yes. I bought some quaaludes to use while I'm having sex with someone. Right. And so but but even before this, even before this, because I I feel like my opinion of him is too biased to 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 critically examine the whole rape situation. And I hope it just goes away before I have to examine it. But um, huh. even before that, he he went he went from just the person who who lifted the image of the black family immensely, oh, immensely, yeah. maybe more than anyone else in history, <laughs> to to an Uncle Tom and a traitor and a sellout. Right. And he was, I mean, he was, I mean, like in the Cosby show, like all the pictures and his sweaters, all designed by black uh, artists and black men and and women and all that. So, I mean, he was very uh, pro that, you know, pro pro pushing that stuff and, you know, more power to him. I thought it was great. And, you know, um, he unfortunately couldn't fight the undertow of the welfare state, but it was a, you know, a fantastic uh, introduction to the potential for the black family that, of course, a lot of people, including blacks, hadn't seen a whole lot of examples of. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you are right, and um, technically, but uh, I I don't know, I don't know if the pushback is more overwhelming, is too overwhelming to mitigate. Now it is, it's not for some, right? So as you know, or I mean, you've you've mentioned some of the intellectual and and sort of moral heroes uh, of of the black community, uh, or I guess maybe not of the black community, but, you know, you've mentioned some of the black conservatives and so on who um, who have found it worthwhile to do what they're doing, right? And yes, so there is a community that they can be a part of, right? They are completely rejected by black America. They are completely... Okay, there is that. <laughs> there is that aspect. They are well. completely rejected by the side that needs to stop the fight. And right. now, so so you'd only have credibility with people who already agree with you. Is that sort of your exactly, right. exactly? Right, right. And now that side has gotten larger, mainly because of I don't know the Immigration Act, the refugee crisis, et cetera, et cetera. That side right. has gotten much larger, right? So yeah, so that's that's what scares me, and I'm and here's the good thing: we know how smart you are because my solution is not that great a solution. So, you know, I wouldn't have liked the idea that you've wrestled with this for a long time and like, oh, just do this. And you're like, oh, wow, you're right. He's like, no, okay, of course, right? I mean, that's sort of my suggestion. And it's a big thing, right? I mean, the the the, the question of where you belong is a big and important question, right? I mean, you want to have access to the black community. Yes, I mean, they're my family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. And they it. all and they all you know hate my ideas until they need some money, <laughs> or, oh, or no. they need to be tutored in math or computer yeah. science or music or something like that. They hate me until those moments, and it's really it's really a funny thing though. Wait, so are you saying that you already like hate? You said hated, right? I mean, you're already strongly disliked in the black community just because people like the people who know your perspectives already. Yes, absolutely. Unequivocally, absolutely. My family in Houston, they tolerated 
because I make way more money than all of them, and I tutor everyone under the age of 20. Oh. So that old song, Can't Buy Me Love, may, <laughs> may have a bit of a hiccup when it comes to your kid. Is that, is that like Paul McCartney was wrong? Is that is that what you're saying? Another white man who's wrong. Oh, no. Right, okay. So that's, I'm sorry. I mean, that that is that's kind of tragic, right? I mean... Well, and I, and of course, I'm married to a European woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> because a, I've a white been... European woman? Because I don't know what the hell that means anymore. What do you mean? Like a white European woman? Yes, I don't know what European the hell that means from, anymore. From Bosnia Herzegovina. Right. Right. Okay. okay. So. So. Um... So I'm trying to figure out at which level you're not a traitor. Like I'm like in your sort of the eyes of your community or whatever. Right. I mean, wow. Because I mean, you'd be a real catch for a black woman, right? They, they, they hate me. <laughs> they right. absolutely hate me. And I actually stopped dating black women many years ago and just dated almost exclusively Eastern European women. But, is that um, Tommy's fault? Because uh, if I remember no. rightly. <laughs> right. Tommy is actually worse than I am, believe it or not. <laughs> but, um, but no, no, I agree. I, I agree. You're right. But no, no, they, they hate me. I mean, I... I'm I'm not interested in the things that they expect a man to be interested in, or at least the attractive ones. <laughs> oh, that's well, but so so Bob, then aren't you somewhat close to the territory of what what's there to lose? You know, like if if they hate you already, why not why not just have them hate you for the right reasons? Oh, oh no, I I've I've lived in that okay that little that zone you just created. I've lived in that zone certainly, but now. Right now, this powder keg is making me figure out what in the world am I going to do in the in the future right. when there is which side which side of the chessboard are you going to run to? <laughs> so to oh, that's wow, that works out really well. So yeah, I'm I'm just going to enjoy that analogy for a moment. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's not that, that's, that's, that that's that's the best one of the day, and I'm definitely telling yeah, yeah. my super duper super <laughs> conservative friend about that one. But um. Yeah. But yeah, so so no, I've lived in that. You know what? You know what? You want to hate me? Fine. You know what? When you need something, you know, I'll take care of you. You know. Right. So that whole treat people the best you can the first time you meet them, and after that, treat them as they treat you. Look, you have a lot of loyalty to your kin and your clan, right? And I, I get that. I mean, yes, I, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm and not going to. And I'm trying that. to, I'm trying to push the message of conservatism to right. the younger people because I feel like I've wasted at least 15 years of my life not understanding how to build wealth, how to actually concentrate on the important things because right. because I because black people, ah god, listen to this, you might not have ever heard this. Black people do not see this country as their home. I really truly believe that. They see this country as kind of an occupying kind of prison. And um, throughout their entire lives, even my mother, and she's 60 something now. And and so I'm trying to get them to see that, because if you can embrace this place as your home, this is the best home possible. This is the best house on the block. This is the best house in the city. Yeah, you all you understand. Well, are you uh, are you going to tell me a place in the world where black people are richer and have more opportunities (laughs) than in North America? No, seriously. I mean, you know this as well as I do. Right. I mean, it's it's there's no other place. The, the, the American blacks are the wealthiest blacks in the entire world, and they have the most freedoms, and they have the most opportunity. Absolutely. If, if blacks, um, there's something I don't remember. I think it was Thomas Sowell who said, if blacks were just a country, we'd be something like 
twentieth or nineteenth. I, I, I it's somewhere yeah, yeah. between twelve and thirty. I don't remember exactly. But and people really don't recognize this. So yes, I I do think it's the case. Um, and I've been and and a lot of the, some of that has to do with white institutions. You know, like it or not. I mean, this is just a reality. Um, I mean, if if you look at Haiti, right? I mean, was not colonized for like four hundred years, and I mean, it's a mess. Yeah. Well, well, okay. So I have an idea about that, and I try to convince people of this, and they and they don't accept this for some strange reason. So, black people do accept that black people are faster and stronger. They 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 can't deny it when they watch the NBA. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> and they, you know, I'm 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 not lucky if my eyes can follow them, let alone. <laughs> but. They won't make the concessions for the other races. It's my crude idea that blacks are faster, bigger, and stronger for for obvious reasons. We could go historically, but we don't have time for that. Asians are more disciplined, much more disciplined, and general smarter. And it is my crude observation that whites are great at organizing. That creating societies, creating businesses, running the things, just organizing whites just can't be beat. And so the the best thing about this country is that we can leverage all of these things. Oh, so so blacks get to be the cool athletes. Uh, uh, Asians are super smart, and whites are just anal. Okay, you know, actually, I can live with that. I can live with that. I really, I really can. I can live with that. Okay, good. <laughs> so, but but anyway, uh, so I I digress here. Um, but. The idea is that I can't I can't have these conversations with people. People want to they 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 want to say, yeah, black people, yeah, we dominate in the NBA. Well, who are the smartest people? Wait, don't say black people aren't the smartest. Like, well, what 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 the hell? Do you want all the special attributes? You know, in a, like a in a video game where you create the player, do you just want everything? Is that is that really reasonable? Right, like the extra trillion dollar a year God mode cheat that Barack Obama had for his entire presidency. But <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Barack Obama, if the race card has passed its limit, Barack Obama is like by far the biggest user of it. It is a collective. You no, know, he's he's just he's just he just turned down aerial surveillance on. He just canceled the aerial surveillance on the border. Oh my goodness! Because he just wants to invite as many. Illegal immigrants or aliens is... Anyway, that's a topic for another time. Man, oh man. Man, oh man. So it is, look, it's a tough, it's a tough question. And of course, the, the, the biracial marriage is, is, uh, is an additional complication, right? Um, not not a, a bad one. I assume you're happily married. But, you know, it is, it is an additional complication. Um, yeah. You know, I'm I'm a general one for siding with whoever you think's going to win. I know that sounds very weasley, but uh, that's uh, you know, figure out who's going to win and then you know, make nice with them. Uh, that's uh, that's not my whole approach with Donald Trump, just so everyone knows at all. But um, yeah, um, there are going to be risks going forward, and um, but I'll tell you this: I'll tell you this for sure that these riots will not happen under a Trump presidency, or at least they won't happen for very long. Absolutely. Um, to give you a, an idea, I, I actually said the same thing, you know, when they were just bulldozing through the police in Chicago. The police, they, they just overwhelmed the police, and the police just let it happen. And I know the police were going, I can't wait to see you in two or three months. 
<laughs> I can't wait right. to see. And come back here in a few months. You know, you have have your little temper tantrum right now. But anyway, I, I'd like to leave you with a story before before I yeah, go. please do. In July of 2015, I bet two people that Donald Trump would become the next president. Mm. And he was not my favorite candidate. My favorite candidate for uh, a small selfish reasons were Ben Carson and Ted Cruz. Right. They were my favorite candidates. I've always respected Donald Trump as a, as a successful person, absolutely. But as far as principled candidate, it's really hard to beat Ted Cruz. Well, it, and it was hard to know what principles Trump was running on at the beginning, right? I mean, I know he'd had his books out and all that, but it wasn't common knowledge what, what he was, but it was, you know, I mean, Cruz had a sort of more of a history of, of at least stated principles. Okay, so, so let, me, let me just go run through this as a quick story. I think you might enjoy it. So mm-hmm. July, I said to a guy, Trump's going to be president, because they were talking about what a joke he was to even run. And I, and I said, all right, give me odds. And they gave me 450 to 100 odds. And then 450 another, to 105, that is pretty specific. I, I got no, to 100. Okay. No, to 100. 400, to 100, okay, okay. Yeah, 2 to 9. So, well, they were poker players like me. Well, at least the first one was a poker player like me. So that's not, that doesn't escape either one of us too much. And then another guy said, I'll take that bet too. And I said, done. And then a week before the actual election, I bet someone else one to one. So I collected $1,100 from, hmm. <laughs> from Donald Trump winning. On, on I can't that- imagine how many, I can't imagine honestly how many bookies went broke. Oh, good On God, this. yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely, because yeah. no actuary could have seen that coming. So right. so anyway, and th- so this is the end of the story. And so when he finally won, the first person I looked, I was like, I got to see Bill Whittle or Stefan Molyneux celebrating. <laughs> I have to see this. <laughs> I have to see this. So I tuned in to watch you sing. <laughs> and, yes. And it was it was glorious. It was absolutely glorious. And I'm, I'm going to assume you're referring to the victory itself, not my particular warbling. But uh, no, I am, no, I am referring to the, the, the uh, your particular warbling. Um, it was, you know, it's a great song. It's a great song, and everybody sings it like it's some sort of vocal acrobatic display piece, and it's not. These are like exhausted guys who've been up all night under fire. Absolutely, actually, that is an extraordinarily good perspective, and I wish. Ah, well, anyway, let me just rush through the story. And then what I did, I looked at two other videos, and I went to the Young Turks. I have a boycott on them. I don't want to give them one extra view. I went mm-hmm. to the Young Turks to watch them melt down, and that was satisfying. And then I saw a video of the people at the Hillary Clinton campaign, mm. and they were destroyed. And I, I had no... No happiness watching that because I saw normal people, normal people who just wanted to be part of something great who were all but guaranteed that she was going to win. And yes, that's what the media told them and, and ill prepared them. Right. You want the doctor who, who says you, you know, your things don't look good rather than, oh, you'll be fine. Right. And so so um, so after that, it made me really, really sad. I mean, extraordinarily sad seeing them because they they weren't the social justice warriors going, "Oh, you such a racist." They weren't doing that. They were they were just sad. Yeah. So seeing the social justice warriors cry about it is 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 you know is just candy. <laughs> but 
So I watched that, and then I sent a letter to my family, who's all gibbered up about it, and I quoted um, Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if you're very familiar with his first inaugural address and the end of so, it. No. Um, it's like, though our passions have strained, we are, you know, we are family of blah, 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 blah. Do you know what I'm, about, what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I quoted that, and I said, you have a choice to pick sides, this side, and then I quoted all of the... The, the people on CNN and all of the, you know, people talking about where this is a white lash. This is racism. This is there was one headline that read Trump's victory proves the unbeatable power of racism. Right. And I said, which are you going to pick? And I and I and it was a real plea to them. But anyway, so we, I just want to point out that Trump's victory proves the an alterable non-power of screaming racism for 18 months. But anyway, go on. Okay, so, so but that's about it. Um, your, your answer is correct, certainly, but it's not, Look, I, it's not a you, slam dunk. It's not, not slam dunk. I don't want to say No, there's no, there's no easy answer. There, there, there's no e- easy answer. We're, we're all tribal. Now, my, my particular tribe happens to be people who I like to chat with and think. So you and me, same tribe as far as I'm concerned, right? But but we have these biological tribes that are out there and and mean things. You know, we, we can't have evolution without in-group preferences. We can't have we would never have gone past jellyfish without that. So it's it's a basic reality that we have to deal with in the world. And it is never fun to choose between tribes where you have um biological or intellectual allegiances that are scattered and complicated. You you got family, you got history, you've got you know blood ties. You've got racial ties. I mean, and, and it's very complicated. And you're married to uh, a white woman and uh, it's a mess. And, and you know for sure that the, those on the left are much more likely to punish you with ostracism than those on the right or just punish you in some way. You know, like I, I noticed this amongst myself and it was not a particularly noble moment for me when I realized that I was much more comfortable attacking Christians than other groups. Why? Why? I said to myself, Why? Well, because Christians are not likely to fight back. And that is, that was not, you know, that was not a brave sequence that, that sort of led me to that place. And that's when I sort of decided, okay, well, I got to be more, more upfront and honest. And the people on the left, I mean, they'll fuck you up if they, if they really get mad at you. They'll certainly try. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why don't I do ads? Well, because you got to be strategic with this stuff, right? And the people on the left, and, the whites and so I mean they're not generally well the people on the left will will mess you up but you know white males as a whole they're so beaten down and don't really you know they don't really fight back that much but if you're going to face negative consequences from one group more than another that skews things uh, as well um, so yeah it is it is complicated but are you a, are you a religious man no I'm I'm an I'm a I'm a disappointed atheist I'm disappointed in what atheism has become <laughs> oh well. Oh, please call back in about that topic another time, and we won't touch on race at all. But I'd be happy to chat about that. Yeah, but with you really as well. quickly. I think they've just become a bunch of lefty anarchists. It's I, I, no, I could live with the anarchy part. It's just the lefty part that drives me kind of crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, call in. I mean, it's been a great chat. Call in if you want, uh, and we'll talk more about the atheist stuff because I certainly have some thoughts about that. Yes, yes, I'm looking at you, Sam Harris. But anyway, um, so it, <laughs> oh it, it, yes. I just saw the title of his newest video, and I decided not to click on it. <laughs> what is the title of his newest video, Bob? Uh, the 
Donald Trump, the world's most powerful clown. Ah, good. Okay, well, it sounds like he's still working his empirical magic. Um, so, it, yeah, it is, it is complicated, but I think that you could be a powerful enough force in society. And not just the race thing, just the smarts, right? And, and I mean, you're incredibly charming and charismatic and good sense of humor. I, I say that because you laugh at my jokes. I just, you know, that's my, that's my only test. <laughs> but, um, you know, you could do a great deal of good in this world. And um, I think if you have, you know, the old thing I've said before, that, that there's a noblesse oblige to high intelligence, that if you have high intelligence, uh, particularly if it's combined with charisma and some financial smarts and all that other kind of good stuff, if you have high intelligence, um, you have a noblesse oblige, a kind of obligation to society to use it uh, in, in the best way that you can to further uh, peace and, and uh, negotiation and, and reasonability in society. And um, it's not like you have to and you're a terrible person if you don't, but um, you are uh, a gifted man. And um, you didn't earn those gifts. It sounds like you're using them really well, which you should be proud of. But um, if you have, you know, if you're tall enough and nobody has any chairs, you got to spend some time getting some stuff from the top shelf for everyone else. That's my particular thought, and you could do a great deal of good in the world. And will you take some shots? Well, sure. But um, they will be more emotional shots, and if it helps avoid the real shots, like the lead kind, uh, I think it's time well spent. Okay. I just put him... Okay, no, I, I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> Are you either stunned or asleep or no, bored? I wasn't no, sure. No, no, not, not at all. I, I, I think a lot. Even when I'm in a debate, I actually pause to think about what people actually say to me and it's right. usually strange to them <laughs> all right just just check. i know because we had a cut before us so i wasn't sure if we were still on but uh... certainly well thank you so much for your time um i'm a big fan before i wanted to call in just to be you know on your show because i you know my brush with fame but um <laughs> so but thank you thank you very much um as as almost generic as some of the other questions were i i, I hope not to in, insult them you still gave uh very interesting answers and um uh, and even thought provoking unsurprisingly uh and Good. for mine too so thank uh, you well i appreciate that and uh yeah yeah do do schedule a call in at some point uh, about the atheism thing because uh now that we're post-trump uh, i'm enjoying spreading my wings a little bit into some of the other topics so uh but yeah a re really great conversation thanks so much for calling in and uh, best of luck to you and uh, thanks, everyone, so much for a great conversation, a great show, a great life. What a privilege. What a privilege it is to be such a central part of this uh, enlightenment of these great conversations in the world. Please remember to go to freedomainradio.com slash donate uh, to help out the show. Hugely appreciated. Uh, I think everyone knows the great work that we're doing, and we can do even more with, uh, with help from you, freedomainradio.com slash donate. Please, uh, of course, um, you can use our affiliate link at fdrurl.com slash Amazon. And you can follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux, FDRpodcast.com for the shows and all of that kind of stuff. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful night. Thanks, everyone, for the glory of the gab that we have. And I will talk to you soon.